0: Who's back. Back <coughs> Guess who's back? Back again. Guess who's oh, back? Back again. The ridiculous yeah. crew has
1: no rhyme. Sorry, guys. I'm, I tried. I tried for you, but
0: uh, hey, we'll okay. get, get, get a little
1: toast. Get a little loosened up here. A little bit of dilly dilly. Off
0: to the pit of misery, as they say, right? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, guys, uh, thanks for joining us again. If you were with us here last week, we kind of jumped real deep into season one of Game of Thrones. Talked a little bit about the TV series, the books, where they differ, what we like better about one or the other, and the reasons why. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the characters too, the casting, and how they differ from each other in the book. And I think we're gonna do something very similar today with
1: season two, right? Yeah, uh, that's what I had to go back through Clash of Kings because it's been about two years since I've read the book, okay. and I forgot how much detail is in this book <clears throat> as far as characters and. You know, even as far as, like, the little details that are different from the show. And I think this is where a lot of the foreshadowing
0: comes in for Daenerys. Right. Because as we talked about and kind of alluded to previously last week, uh, we always felt like this was the whole plan where this ended up at the end. And I've got some good quotes I'm going to share with you where this kind of all got started from. And honestly, this this book is... You know, obviously the end of Game of Thrones 1 where the whole war starts because of a couple things. You know, number one, uh, Ned's head gets taken off. Number two, uh, Daenerys had an assassin attempt on her life, and that's when Drogo went off and said, we're crossing the like the narrow sea and the uh, wooden horses. So, like, that's where things start coming to a head, and we go into this, this second book here, and this is where we start seeing some mistakes that are made on all sides. We start to see who
1: is doing what. We meet Stannis for the first time. Right. So I, I'm, I'm pumped about this, man. Oh, it's excellent. And uh, don't forget, you know, at the end of Game of Thrones, Rob wow. did one of the biggest, I feel like one of the biggest accomplished accomplishments that he's ever done, and that was taking down the King Slayer himself. Yeah. so yeah, Absolutely, the Whispering Wood. So,
0: yeah, and then that's us kind of pick up from there about um, where everybody is in conjunction. I know where, really, in the TV series, Season 2 begins... When Tyrion Lannister, uh, his father Tywin, they're in that tent by Casterly, Casterly Rock, and he tells Tyrion uh, he's going to become Hand of the King, because he started talking a little bit about strategy and saying, you know, well, this, like, Rob Stark calls him the boy isn't as green as we thought he was, you know, so um, we can't really do anything at this point because Joffrey cut off Ned Stark's head, and everyone else in the tent really didn't have any sort of valuable information or ideas of what they could do differently. And so Tywin, at that point, almost kind of gives his like dwarf son respect for the first time and tells him, you know what? You actually have a good mind for this. Uh, I want you to serve as hand of the king for me and really reel in Joffrey and, and Cersei when needed.
1: And you actually brought up a good point that that starts out in the show because if you notice in the books, when you're diving into it, <clears throat> Rob and Jamie really aren't big point-of-view characters. As far as what the whole book partakes, it really starts to focus more on Danny and she's no longer really a subplot anymore.
0: Right, yeah, No. because it starts with her kind of almost
1: following that whole situation with Tyrion
0: being named like acting hand in Tommen's Place. Uh, she sends her Blood Riders out into the Red Waste to find civilization somewhere, because they're, they're dying in the Red Waste, and here is... One thing that's very different from the series and the books is that her, her uh, uh, handmaiden, Dorea, she actually dies in the Red Waste in the books where she kind of betrays Danny.
1: that we go on later on here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> another thing they really do talk about in the books a lot that we didn't get to see a whole lot in the show is the Red Comet, which is what they talk about. Um, as far as even just following it, and you know, it's old background with dragons and all that, uh, you really don't get to see a lot of that in the actual season itself. So, right? and yeah, you're right.
0: And in the TV series, the red comet, you see it like almost in one episode. But it follows everyone's point of view in the books. Like everyone talks like at length about it you know, in way bigger depth than it is done in the series. Like, yes, we know Osho with Bran saw it in Winterfell. Danny saw it uh, there, but they didn't talk about much in King's Landing or uh, with Stannis. And so, uh, and now that we kind of bring up Stannis, this is kind of where we very first meet who Stannis is, right? So we meet Stannis Rathian uh while Melisandre, Malis- the, the red woman, is burning the seven idols of the gods, right? The, right, like the ones that uh,
1: she considers false gods, because she serves the Lord of Light. Right, and uh, speaking of the Lord of Light, like that's one thing they talk about a lot in the books, and I feel like you hear a little bit about it in the show, um, but in the books, it's definitely a big deal. I mean, for a while, a fan theory even was is kind of time jumping all the way to season five, like possibly was John Snow going to come back as the Lord of Light. But, um, so that's just one thing you definitely see a lot more as far as in the actual book itself talked about versus the whole season of two, season two of Game of Thrones. For sure, man. And, you know,
0: now that you talked about Jon Snow a little bit, you know, while this is going on, he's at the Night's Watch where they decided they've got to take a journey beyond the Wall to figure out what happened to Benjen Stark. And they stay at Craster's Keep. What a guy this Craster is. (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, you know... If you guys don't know, we've just got to tell it how it is on the show. Uh, Crafter he breeds daughters and wifes them and keeps breeding them. And he delivers his sons as um, kind of like sacrifices or offerings to the White Walkers to leave him alone. Right. So that way
1: he can stay doing what he does. Yeah. And uh, that's one thing we talked about last week a lot. Like, this whole universe... That's really not a big deal for as far as the whole incest goes. Um, to say it, like it wasn't a big deal at all that Jamie and Cersei were having a thing, right? Right. But the big deal with here is he is, you know, sacrificing the babies. The sons, right? Thing, right. And this
0: is one problem I have going. Not jumping too far ahead, but going like to the end is like. What happened to these babies that were being offered to the, 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 right. the Night King? But, yeah. I mean, again, if you guys listened to us last week, the Night King doesn't exist yet in the books. We don't know if George R. R. Martin's going to bring him in in The Winds of Winter or A Dream of Spring. But as of right now, the Night King really only exists in the TV series. Right. Yeah. So, uh, and then while this is going on as well, obviously, Jamie Lannister is still a captive of Rob Stark. And I want to ask, you know, not just the audience and you, just kind of anyone who wants to answer this, do we
1: believe that Rob should have just flat out killed Jamie? I would say, me personally, my response, I mean, that's a great question for all of us. My personal opinion on that is no, because I think he wouldn't have seen any value. Because if you go back to looking at it, even in Season 1 and Game of Thrones, they had sacrificed. I think he was saying like two hundred men in that other battle with the Lannisters. Two thousand, men. Two thousand. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So it was off by a zero there. <laughs> Took, a zero <laughs> yeah. yeah. Took a zero off that. Took a zero off that. Downplayed it just <laughs> a little bit, and do it, do it. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, he wouldn't have seen any value in Jamie. He there. He would already be dead by that point, so he really wouldn't have any leverage. Th- this is why I think that it's possible that he should have.
0: Because, number one, worst that was going to happen, they kill Sansa in return. And as of right now, Sansa comes like a bigger player later in the game, but she wouldn't have needed to if what happened to Rob didn't happen, right? So, right. like, if they kill Jaime in my mind, the Lannisters retaliate, and they kill Sansa, and then, you know, they still they still have this entire war to fight, and I believe that... You know, because like we talked about yesterday, Jamie was regarded, not yesterday, last week, Jamie was really regarded as one of the top five swordsmen in all of Westeros, right? Right. So you kind of take the heart and soul out of the army. Like, would Tywin, like, would he want his revenge, sure, but I believe that, like, he kind of would have been broken by the fact that his son, who was still whole at that time, both hands and everything of that nature, still a top tier swordsman. And I think that kind of takes the morale out of the Lannister army. I don't know. That's just my own opinion. Um, they Should they have killed him? Yes or no? You guys tell us as well because I'm interested in hearing your guys' thoughts because you know, this is, this is what this is, right? It's kind of like a debate show. We're going to have different opinions on things. I'm interested. I want someone to try to convince me why they should have had him stay alive.
1: So, Well, it goes back into what we were even talking about last week where he captured Jamie. If you remember in the show in Season 1... <clears throat> Jamie proposes the offer of, why don't we end this now? Well, let me just take you on one-on-one. You know, the winner lives, the loser dies, we're done. And Rob said, well, if I did that, then all this would have been for nothing.
0: Kind of, yeah. His, his exact words, and it was kind of a really cool quote, was, if we do it your way, Kingslayer, you'd win. But we're not going to do it your way. Right. So, like, that was really cool. But... And, and at that time, there was value in, in holding Jamie. But really, the only reason they held him as it was as a potential swap for, like for Sansa and Arya. But number one, the Lannisters didn't have Arya, and when this all started, one of the things that Tyrion said was like, listen, we could have ransomed Jamie for Ned and Arya and Sansa. Hmm. But they killed Ned, Arya got away, so really, what was like? Where was the real benefit? You know what I mean? So I think, you know, the potential... What ends up happening to Jamie is fine because he doesn't end up becoming a big player for the Lannisters later on. It's just... I wonder if it wouldn't have been better for them and
1: like the le- like you know for his Rob's own legend too like you know, he killed the King You actually, bring up a really good point because they were all on so many different pages here. I kind of think that's part of the reason why Rob ended up the way he did, along with uh, Catlin, mm-hmm. because if they had known where everyone was or had some sort of idea, which is really very realistic for this time period, like, you know, they're not going to know and send a raven every five minutes to know who's where, but I think that's part of the reason why they, you know, Rob never really got revenge after he was building this whole army.
0: Right, so we don't, we won't get into that, because, as you guys know, listen, last week, Rob is my favorite all-time Game of Thrones character, so we won't, we won't spoil nothing yet. Um, but you know now that we're still we're still bringing up Rob, this is where the point where he sends terms to the Lannisters. Like of course they were unacceptable terms. He, yeah, want, he wanted wanted right. everything like north of Mo Kalen as like their own independent kingdom of the north. They wanted the bones released, they wanted the two daughters. Um, because I mean at that point they were winning the war. He, he like they yeah, took the King of right. Slayer, they surprised like the Lannister Army, like Taiwan had to retreat to Heron Hall. Like mm-hmm. they were doing well. And so while he's doing that he he's a military genius, honestly, and I'll bring it up here in a couple minutes. But he tries to make an alliance with with Balon and Greyjoy. He sends Theon to like, hey, if you let us use, like if you make an alliance with us, let us use your ships and your fleet. I'll make you king of the Iron Islands again. Right. So you know he sends, and then also during that time too, Catelyn kind of warns against the, like, hey, you can't trust the Greyjoys, uh, Balon. You don't want him for an ally. But he's like, listen, if if we've got their ships and we've already done what we've done so far, and if you can do me this favor, he, he sends his mom to go treat with Renly to make an alliance between those two, right? So if we if we join forces with Renly Baratheon and we've got the ships from the sea, like, they're going to be closed in the, 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 the jaws. And he said, they'll sue for peace at that point in time. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> I mean, this is really when Rob was officially declared like the king of the north and if you go back to those terms like he told the lannisters like one of those terms was stay completely out of the north like i don't want any of you here yeah and of course the lannisters weren't having that because if you go back to thinking about it seven kingdoms they were literally the powerhouse of this entire universe at the moment um the targaryens were completely out Danny was really an afterthought, if you think about it. No one even thought she was really gaining that much power. Yeah, there was talk last season in Game of Thrones about a little bit here and there. But she was really an afterthought. The only really threat they even had was Rob. And, of course, they're really considering, like, okay, he's won a couple of minor battles at this point. Like, how much of a threat really is he? he ha- they had the biggest army in the entire...
0: Area at the time. Renly had the biggest army. He had a hundred thousand swords because uh, Highgarden Garden had declared for Renly, so that's why they wanted to treat Renly. But I think it's because number one, Robert and Ned were really close, yeah. and like they're like their natural allies. But um, also, like if you if you think about it this way, if if there's there was a small thing that if they were adjusted X Y and Z way, obviously it would be a whole different outcome, right? Mm-hmm. So. I, but his, his idea, and it really would have worked. If Balon didn't pull treachery uh, you know, and convince Theon to join him, they would have had that fleet. If they had joined up with Renly without Stannis you know, getting that black magic to kill Renly, like, really? This war would have been over fast. It would have been over very fast because Renly was on the March of King's Landing. Stanislaus didn't pull that black yeah. magic in the night stuff that we'll talk about in a little bit. Renly's right. still alive. Uh, he makes an alliance with Rob. Yeah. gives him the north and said he can he can have everything north of Moe Caitlin. Yeah. So realistically, ideally, Rob was a military genius, had a good mind for war. Like, he just had things that fell, unfortunately, to him. And then a couple of things self-inflicted we'll get into later
1: as well. Right. And um, as far as... Uh, just for you guys that probably you know might not for not remember at the moment Renly is Robert Baratheon's younger brother right youngest youngest brother yeah. okay and that was part of the, the issue as well is that you know
0: Ned wanted Stannis to become the next king because that was the proper line of succession where like realistically Ned Ned had a very very naive approach to the world because it's very hypocritical of him to say the next line of succession when he helped Robert Baratheon overthrow the Mad King. Right. And then on top of that, like, he always despised Jamie Lannister for killing the king, but you were on your way to overthrow him as it was. Mm-hmm. I and then, and then, like, talk about the line of succession, it was, he was kind of, he was literally an honorable fool, as Robert Baratheon, like, dubbed him, and I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, so, you know, realistically, that's that was the ideal, is... Was in your mind as a reader, like, oh well, you know Ned and Robert had a great thing going. Uh, Now Renly and Rob are gonna, you know, they're gonna take this to the next level. Where Ned really wanted Stannis because he was the next in line. No one loved Stannis. He always wanted to be by himself. He was just known as like an iron-hard commander. uh, Held no love for anybody. And, you know, that's, you know, one of the greatest things Renly asked Ned Stark in season one was like, do you still think good soldiers make good kings? Because of how
1: bad Robert right. left the, the king and the crown in debt. And that's really where you start seeing this whole thing. You know, you want to say it gets, you're hoping it winds up getting better for the Starks, right? And, and they start turning a corner to come back around. And that's really where this whole thing breaks down. Is none of them really had good chemistry with what they wanted. They all all wanted it for themselves. And it comes in here is when a big breakdown happens is with Rob and Theon when they start kind of breaking apart at this point.
0: And like I don't even think that they they personally didn't. I mean, he Theon was excited to go talk on Rob's behalf to be on Greyjoy. But the issue with Theon is that. It, he was having an internal struggle when he, got to, oh, uh, when he got to Pike, which is the capital of the Iron Islands, to meet his father. was like, I am a great joy but like the Starks have put me in this position to this point. Like, he had like, an internal struggle of where his allegiance is owed, whether it's the Starks or to his own family. And, and that's really where, like, again, we give, we, a lot of people hate Theon for what he did, but if you try to put yourself in that situation where you've got to choose between your actual family and like the family that took you in and raised you up, like, that's not an easy choice
1: by any means. Yeah. So, And there's a part where, you know, where Theon goes and tries to get the ships and everything, and he starts gaining more and more leverage at this point. He really does kind of start to think he's going to become the next Rob. Kind of.
0: Well, and here's the thing with that, is that he was, I think he was trying to do it to really appease his father, because he was kind of disrespected in Bailon Greyjoy's quote-unquote throne room, right? He wasn't... King, yeah, right. he, but uh, there was the the whole thing where he Balon gave his sister Yara, whose name is Asha in the books. That's a little key mm-hmm. difference. I gave Yara thirty ships to go take Deepwood Moth, where he only gave Theon one ship to go raid the coastlands, and that's a huge sign of disrespect. If he's supposed to be the, the heir to the Iron Islands, so Theon had it in his mind that he's got to like like one up Yara, like like kind of show like you know I am the, the proper heir. Like you made the right choice then in, in like you know, with me, not her. And that's where he kind of gets that uh, extra kick and gain leverage to overtake not only uh, Torrin Square, but Winterfell
1: later on. But that kind of gets way down the line. Yeah, it's kind of jumping, but I do like you made that point about Yara because there's multiple times in here, in the book and in the show, where she tries to talk to him multiple times for him to come off his high horse, and he just doesn't. Yeah. He, like never, he never earned anyone's respect from
0: the Iron Islands because right. he never paid the iron price or anything. He just thought everything should be given to him because of his last name. And right. If you guys know anything about the Iron Islands, that's not how it works. And right. Now, in this whole time of time, we kind of jump through everybody except Joffrey. And it's at this point where Joffrey... Has all of Robert Baratheon's bastards killed? Mm-hmm. Like you see them going through killing. They kill the baby killing in the, the whorehouse. House, yeah. uh, drown like like the teenager in the river. Uh, Gendry ended up getting away uh, because he was joining the Night Watch. He got sent there as well. So, but this was a really really important aspect because that rumor that uh, Joffrey was a bastard born of incest between Jaime and Cersei. He wanted to make sure no one could could, uh, contest his claim to the throne, so he killed all of Robert Baratheon's bastards, and I think that's a huge, huge moment.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, you really start to see in this book, and in this season, Joffrey really gets, which in the book, he's a lot worse than the show. I think almost the show, he was bad enough in the show. Yeah, we hated him in the show. But But he... uh, He's downright bad. Like, there, there's no one that for him. <laughs> yeah, super villain. And you think, you know, later on Ramsey's pretty sick. He's pretty sick. I mean, some of the things he does to Sansa is just yeah. downright wrong. They,
0: they haven't met Ramsey yet. <laughs> yeah. Which
1: uh, we'll get into that later on, which I'm sure you all have seen the show, otherwise you wouldn't be watching this. But um, not to mention, this whole season starts off in the, with the tournament Joffrey is having. Um, So we can kind of go back to that for a bit, and actually in the books, right, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, it starts off in the show where you see kind of the Hound kicking ass, and you start to kind of see more and more on what he can do. But in the books, he actually refuses that tournament, from what I remember.
0: Yeah, and you know what's really funny is uh, it was almost like, uh, I don't know if it was a plot hole or if they didn't realize they did this, but in the TV series, um, it was for Joffrey's name day. And the hound fought another knight, completely killed him, threw him over the side, like splattered dead. But later on, like not even ten minutes later in the show, there like Sir Dantos comes out the drunk, the drunk knight, right? Right. His yeah. And to into fool. And Sansa really saves his life by saying like it's, it's bad luck to kill someone on your name day. And the hound agrees with her. He's like he's right, your grace. Um, what do you say? Like what is uh, uh, sown in the summer, you reap in the spring. But like bro, you just killed someone 10 minutes you know, ago. Yeah, what are you like, talking about? You like, already did that on the same like, That made no sense. sense. And so I wonder if that's something that they didn't think about or if it's a plot hole. I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on that as well because I don't know if everyone caught that. Yeah, kind of like a Starbucks on
1: the table. did <laughs> <laughs> everyone realizes it? They're like, oh, wow. For yeah. sure.
0: And then also this entire time, Uh, You know, Arya is making her way north, and this is really why I love this show, and I think a lot of people love this show. Is it bounces back between so many people's viewpoints? There's like at least seven people's viewpoints that bounces. It goes
1: almost like into that whole like how Witcher pulled it off very well. Like you have a three. Yeah. So, like, kind of Romans had like seven, right?
0: Seven. So, like maybe more, right? You followed Rob, you followed Theon, you followed Brandon Recon, mm-hmm. you followed uh, Brienne when she stole like when she was got uh, Jamie, you followed Catelyn, you followed Renly, you followed Stannis. You call Joffrey. That's that's eight right there. And
1: Daenerys. So I'm like, I'm Daenerys, her? Nine. Yeah. She's a main point. And she of this she book. is the main. Point. Yeah, she's in in here. Starts
0: to really figure out her own power a little bit. So yeah. it follows nine people's points in just this one book in this one uh, this one season. Yeah, and
1: that's what's so great about this series. As you kind of jump from book to book or season, season to season, it changes point of view points. It doesn't focus on one person the entire time like for instance you know where you had mainly it was about like Cersei and Ned for instance in the first one in the Lannisters right now you're kinda of jumping into it's not really focused on Jamie anymore and it's not really focused on Rob you're kinda of focused a little bit more on Daenerys you're focused a little bit more on Joffrey and what's great about what you're just going into this is really when we start to see Arya start to develop into the warrior she is. Kinda, yeah. I mean she's still kinda
0: got the shit I end mean, of everything at this point. had not yeah. really become that badass yet. And now that we this is the now that we talk about Arya and where they're falling for, like, going up to the nice watch. We meet Jack and Hagar for the first time, like, in that cage. Also, yeah. Rorge and Biter, completely different in the book, right? Uh, one of them didn't have a nose, and yeah. one had, like, weird sharpened teeth like mm-hmm. like, a, like an animal. And, like, I guess, I mean, how do you really put that? But, I mean, they did a lot of things on the TV screen. Either way, those are two characters that are completely different, and I think they're more terrifying how they're depicted in the books versus the TV series. so And he becomes a really key point of her you know, developing right.
1: as a warrior and as a killer later on. And, and another guy, right, as, don't forget, in season one, when Arya, you know, he's kind of cutting her up to look like a boy. Yorin, at this that's point. Yorin. And Yoren is a guy... So they show him a little bit in that badass scene when he kind of makes his final stand in the season, right? They show him a couple more times, actually. Like
0: you think about the first, because like that's what I have next here like, on my notes that I took from when I just went through it, you know, just recently. Uh, the gold cloaks came looking for Gendry, one of his ba- like one of Robert Baratheon's bastards. Um, and Yorin sends the gold cloaks away like like he goes to pull his sword and yeah. Yorin has that little tiny knife like right into his femoral artery in his thigh he's like if I, if I nick this artery there's no one on here that can unnick it Yeah. But, you know what he should have done and what would have been smart because who knows how many days ride away they were from King's Landing if Yorin just kills that guy and then kills his companion they never come back with the host that they did, and that battle, by the way, way different in the books too. for when they, a, yeah. when they kill Joran. but that—that's one of the biggest things—is like, not a smart move. You kill those two, they don't like the people who sent them, like Joffrey who sent those gold cloaks, or whoever it was who gave that order. They don't know where they went. They could have deserted. They could have been lost on the road. They might have never found them. But he let them go to go bring back, yeah. bring back the news and come back with a bigger yeah. host. So. Uh, that, that didn't make much sense to me.
1: I feel like Joran, right, he reminds me a little bit... Almost as Sirius Black combined with the son of Braavos. <laughs> when <laughs> Arya was training with him. You know, the Dancing King. He, he's... I feel like he's underplayed in the show. Like, they didn't go a little bit into enough of his history. And in the show, like, he's, he's a badass as he is in those action scenes. But in the book... They really wind up going into his history and, like, what he's thought of and a master of, you know, the martial arts, right? And so that's why it really draws you to such an emotional connection when he winds up dying. Yeah, I mean, he was not, he didn't get a lot of um,
0: screen time, you know? But the thing is, is like the small parts that he was in were very, very pivotal. He makes sure Arya doesn't see Ned get his head cut off. Mm-hmm. He cuts her hair, makes her look like a boy. He takes her, and if you remember this or not, this is where we got Arya's list from. Because, right. Yeah. Because like she's mm-hmm. like, how do you sleep with all the bad things that you've seen? And he tells him a story about how his brother was killed and how, like, he would keep saying the guy who killed him, Willem, over and over again in right, his head yeah. until Willem came back into town. He said, i buried an axe so far in his skull they had, to, <laughs> they, had to, they had to bury him with it still in. Right? So, like, this is where the inception of her hit list comes from, is from Jorn, too, which is a huge point. And then, obviously, he was a really good fighter, too. He he, yeah. he, he fought off. He was fighting ten gold folks at once and killed about seven of them. Yeah. Before, finally, like, you know, he was overtaken just by sheer numbers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that that he was... You know who I think he is comparatively in the same series? He's kind of like Braun a little bit. Braun, he He is. He's very, very similar to Braun, except, like, without. He's just not smart enough. Like, Braun would have killed those Gold cloaks and never have to go back. Like, Jorn's, like, eh, you know, kind of almost like an arrogant way that we can make it far enough to where they won't worry us. And then, unfortunately, it doesn't happen that way. And, you know, that's. It's sad as it goes, but I don't think Jorn was ever meant to be a main character or someone that we focus on. But it, the small amount of interactions he did have with the main characters, I think kind of
1: uh, helped mold them later on. Yeah, and there's a lot of even foreshadowing and kind of what goes down. Because as this whole scene takes place, right, you know, Jorn goes down. If it wasn't for him going down, I mean, things wouldn't have worked out the way they did. You know, you have Arya that winds up being taken all the way up to Winterfell where then she winds up going to Tywin Lannister. Oh, that's Harrenhal. No, she got Harrenhal, She got taken to Harrenhal. Yeah, Winterfell's way on. <laughs> that's, that's her home. She would have loved to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, Harrenhal, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. So Harrenhal, uh, and she goes up there, and then, of course, Gendry's being tortured. Um, so all this stuff goes down, and then she winds up meeting, you know, through all the thick and thin of it all, which is just kind of jumping, you know, the guy she really spends a whole lot of time with, in season five. Yeah, Jack and the Guard,
0: yeah, we yeah. met him. And when the Gold Cokes come back and they end up killing like uh, the, their cart was on fire and she gave him the axe to get themselves out of there. And that really, saving his life, she has no idea what that ended up doing for her later on. So that was a little bit of what plays into the future, too. And, you know, this is one thing that we need to talk about, kind of going back to what's happening at King's Landing. Remember when Tywin sent Tyrion to act as Hand of the King, he was told not to bring Shay the whore with him. Mm-hmm. And he brings her anyways. And like as like a power move, like Lord Varys, like well, like he goes in to see Shay and Lord Varys is sitting there talking to her and she's giving him all the information he needs to really royally screw Tyrion. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? So yeah. there there was that as well. Uh Shay, uh, she she ends up really kind of turning. Like I think her arc went backwards. You yeah. know, she was really kind of like in love with Tyrion, didn't A lot of things nice and tried to save him, protect him from a lot of things. And then, you know, just talk about everyone can be bought, man. Yeah. uh, Also in King's Landing at this point, Gior Mormont, who is the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, he sends a raven about the White Walkers, uh, you know, especially about when he had gotten attacked in his own quarters and Jon Snow, like, threw the lantern on the White Walker and burned it. said, like, uh, um, winter is rising and the dead rise with it. That was really cool. He put that in the letter. And, like, no one's believing them at this point in time. Like, no one really cares about the Nights Watch. They're almost like an afterthought. Like, literally Cersei said, I have full confidence that they can handle stuff out there. Because, like, yeah. like, they don't believe that the dead are coming to life and that they're killing them. And that's going to bite everyone in the ass later on.
1: Oh, yeah, it definitely does. Um, one, one quote. I can't remember exactly what part of the show it was in. But there's a part where Arya is told... I think it was by Euron at one point where they're watch, walking, and he's like, what, are you blind? Well, it almost sit there in foreshadows for what happens later on in the seasons and the books. Um, and it, it's so funny, I keep going back to this part, that if he didn't die right there, like, if he didn't make that decision you were talking about, her entire arc would have been different. Right, and she was gotten to... A, to Either Winterfell or the Night's Watch, depending on what
0: was going on at that point in time, she would have been back with her family. She would have been safe. Mm -hmm. And then, like, that was crazy, because that's not the only time that something happened where, like, Arya was almost
1: where she needed to be. Right. And then, you know, that's going to bump into Season 3. I mean, that's Um, really Arya's whole story. Yeah. She's always been right there if one little detail had been different.
0: Yeah. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. Jorn kills those gold cloaks. They never come back to find Gendry. She never goes to Harrenhal as a slave. She goes either to Winterfell or Night's Watch, and she's either with, you know, Maester Lewin and Brandon Recon, or she goes up with Jon Snow right. in the Night's Watch, and, you know, they protect her until the war's over. Like, there's so many little small things, and then. You know, next season we're not going to get into it, but you know she arrives at that place just a little bit too late. <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> so, bit too late. We won't yeah. tell anyone about that mm-hmm. yet. Uh, but let, let's talk a little bit about Daenerys now. I think we haven't done her enough justice. Where yeah. um, you know she had sent those people out to find civilization. That horse comes back with like her favorite blood rider, Ricardo's head in it. Oh yeah, and, like that was one of Erie, I think that was like Erie's love interest. Eery's one of Daenerys's uh, handmaidens, mm-hmm. and she screams, crying like like blood chilling screams because they, she believes that they killed his soul because they dismembered his body, and he's never going to be able to ride through the Nightlands. Yeah, uh, that was really sad. And you know, that then from there, uh, they start like like the, her other blood rider comes back and says that like the thirteen of Koth want to meet with you, and uh, Koth is like one of those cities where. You know, I feel if she would have just stayed there, it would have been a good life for her, maybe. But uh, we'll get into actually what happens. I can like, the greatest city that was or will be. And I really wish that they had brought talk back into it in, the, in yeah. the show later on because, remember, uh, she made a promise that uh, they will all... No, I'm not going to say, yep, but... Uh, right, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I think that at this point in time, you know, Daenerys is, is very, very... Uh, like, her spirit's almost broken. She's leaning on Jorah Mormon Mormont to, like, help her through this. Like She thinks she's led all of her people to their death in the Red Waste. And then finally she gets the news that the 13
1: of of will receive her at the gates. And so that kind of gives her some, some hope. Yeah, and yeah, people forget at this point, you know, Daenerys wasn't near what she winds up being towards the end of the show, end of the book. She's still a little girl, man. Yeah, exactly. And um, she's pretty much destroyed at this point from, you know, what happened to Drogo still. Um, and this kind of goes back into, you know, that big question we asked last week, like, did she actually love him? And I think based on what you kind of start to see in the beginning of this book, I think she did, especially from a book's perspective and people forget in the books as opposed to the show. She spends a lot of the time and the first part of the books following that red comet and yeah. she goes into a lot of the visions and that sort of thing that she has all the nightmares. Um, but one thing that I did like about Karth in the books, if you forget, so the way it was described, I feel like it wasn't, it wasn't portrayed exactly, given, it wasn't given the acknowledgement it really was in the books. In the books, it was described as, it had these, you know, 40 to 50 to 60 feet tall Walls, these massive walls. They had the paintings all over them. They had the animal animal sex paintings. Yes, you're right. Yeah, and it was uh, a very vivid picture, I would say. Um, So you're kind of picturing this very mythical, very almost 300-like when he goes up to find the incest gods where he was like praying to the, uh, I want to say the, the Oracles, or, yeah, the oracles, yeah. the women. That's almost what you're, like, picturing there. And when she gets there, you know, as you know, she comes into the warlocks. And one thing that I uh, did put down, too, was it doesn't really go into enough of... You know the warlocks' roles and like the thirteenth warlock. Was where did they big come thing. from, man?
0: Like that's that's my thing is that the origin of them and what kind of powers they had. Because remember when they were in the house of the Undying, you know, towards the end of the season, where like our powers grew when the dragons were like right. like uh, were born. Where do the powers come from? Like what like what relation do they have? I agree, there was not enough. Um, with them in the uh, either the
1: series or the books. either one, yeah, yeah. no, that's a, good, one a really good point. I mean, because I was even like doing some research, trying to dive into that, just seeing where we could drag into, almost like jumping back in time, where we were going into the cretes as far as the Mandalorian, right? Like trying to find out more information on. You really can't. All I really found was, you know, the thirteenth Karth, You know, they were they were basically kind of like. Lannisters, they tried to be pure blood, and then at the same time, they were just really high end, like spice makers and all this stuff. Well, yeah, the, the, the one guy, the 13, is called the Spice King.
0: Uh, the one that, the, the fat one with the slick back hair, yeah. he's mm-hmm. called the Spice King. But I'm, you know, I'm talking about this. the warlocks themselves, because the warlocks are the ones that killed all, right. of the, all the, um, the rest of the council and uh, Zarro, Zoan, Duxus. And yeah, Zarro, yeah. He's a little rascal, rascal himself, yeah. too, man. Uh, you know, and then. He's basically the uh, little finger of the <laughs> entire cards, pretty much, right? Yeah. Uh, then there's, uh, you know, Janos Slim. Remember, he's, he was the, the commander of the Gold Cloaks when they betrayed Ned. Tyrion, mm-hmm. he sends him to the Wall. Cersei, yes. like this, this is like the biggest flex, like his very first big flex as acting hand. As he brings Janos oh, up and they, they start dining together, and Janos thinks it's a great time. And Tyrion's like, yeah, you know what? We're actually sending you to the raw wall because you've betrayed enough hands. Oh yeah, and I'm not like, you know, I'm done. And like, he's like, I've got friends in the court. Like, number one, you're a fool for thinking that Cersei's your friend. You know, number two, Bron, and get him out of here. And he names Bron the new commander of the city oh, watch. Yeah.
1: He basically says, "F you, send him to the night's watch." Yeah, absolutely. Well, like, but like, and it's
0: such a smart move because he was already bought enough times. Like, he could have betrayed anyone because you know Cersei and Tyrion don't have a good relationship. So at any point in time, yeah. you know, he could have turned on him, and he didn't want that around him and that's kind of like the
1: next trickery he pulls which we'll talk about in a little bit I gotta give Benninghoff and Wise props on this too because it really displayed that in season 2 if you really uh, watch that show in detail it really shows how Tyrion he gets sick of the Lannister shit long story short is what it is and he you know and as far as kind of bucking up to Cersei getting sick of that really testing her when she goes into this whole drinking phase kind of thing. Yeah. Where she's drinking all the time. And then even to the point of, you know, like, he's slapping Joffrey around. <laughs> he's sick of it, you know. And uh, you got to give Tyrion that respect he deserves. Because he's really the only one that kind of stuck up for Sansa and all the people that were being wrong at the time, right? He always wanted to do what was right.
0: And that's what we really appreciate about Tyrion. And the fact that the reason why we have to give Tyrion a lot of credit is because he did this while being looked down on and, like, as a grotesque monster for being a dwarf, like, like he came into the world, killed his mother in birth. Like, it wasn't him, but she died giving birth to him. Yeah. So, like, all these bad things is following him, and no one loves him, and he's still, he's got that heart where he always wants to do the right thing, and that's pretty amazing. So, they portray that super, super well. And, you know, while this is all going on, um, this is when Theon arrives at the Iron Islands and brings Robb's turn to Balon. Remember, he fingers his sister as yeah, they, they ride, cider, yeah. they,
1: they ride up there. Yeah, so, a little on the horse. Yeah, That's exactly. Really nice. on the horse. Yeah. So
0: really, like this entire series is very graphic and things that, like you know, <laughs> while modern culture kind of like would, it was really shocked that they they put this as so mainstream as it was. Uh-huh. Like there was incest, brothers sleeping with sisters. You know, you could see actually what was happening on certain aspects, like. Um, like the homosexuality being so open and and out with it like with Renly where in the books like you knew he was homosexual but it was very like it was hinted it was hinted in the books where in the the TV series like
1: you just fly out and knew right
0: Right? two main characters too Renly and then you also had
1: you know the guy in season one uh, I want to say what's his name again Sir Loras Sir Loras yeah Yeah, yeah, Sir Loras that's what I'm thinking of yeah yeah man so like this
0: is everything that you would think was like a hush hush topic or you know, like, like, you just don't put out there visually for people to see. They broke that door down. Yeah. They're not that they, they break
1: it down. They kicked that mother open. They, <laughs> they killed it, too. I mean, yeah. breaking chart records. Exactly. Uh, your records. There were so many people in for this show. off and Wise broke all the barriers for people were literally subscribing to HBO just for Game of Thrones. Dude, yeah, you know, I, I did. The history. So I did all of. Like, guys, but, you know, side that I did love Ballers as well, but Ballers, was, oh, <laughs> Ballers was good. I, I, was I love I season loved, three, and then I love Ballers. The minute they threw surfboards into Star into Ballers, I, I, I was like, it. "Why is surfing more than football?" Jumping off topic, <laughs> getting back into this. Um, well, that's what we, we like, do on occasion. That's <laughs> what
0: we do on the regular, actually. That's why you guys love us, right? You know, so really, they broke the mold for what was. Really allowed to be viewed on on TV, and really I think they set the bar for other. Because remember when you couldn't even say that certain curse words on the radio or TV, everything was super edited. It wasn't even that long oh, ago. No, like, it wasn't like, long
1: ago. No, you
0: couldn't do any of this, and now people are getting away from TV and watching, you know, streaming services like like Netflix, like Disney Plus, like HBO Go, so they yeah. they can see like the because re- it it brings a new level of real. To it, don't you agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the real show before this that tried it was Spartacus, because that came out like, what, a year or two before, right?
0: Yeah, it never got such a big following, though.
1: It never did. And the thing, the difference with Game of Thrones, and then you had shows like Spartacus and Camelot that tried to get, you know, something going out of it was Spartacus and Camelot, they really just focused on the whole sex thing. They focused on sex. They did have a little bit of, you know, the homosexuality in there, uh, trying to be more open. Uh, they did have a lot of the gore and that sort of thing, but they really didn't have the politics that were involved. Yeah. That was in the show. And this was That was so cool.
0: Like... Game of Thrones is almost like a mix of House of Cards, uh, Scandal.
1: It really puts yeah. together, man. All <laughs> like, together. It's it's
0: it really had a lot of things of what people wanted, and like like who's outsmarting who, like you know, like like honestly, one of my favorite things. And yes, it's a little bit like going maybe another episode from here, but I, I want to talk about it because I think it's super super cool. Tyrion does like it has his like real first. I'm gonna catch who's with me and who's against me. Yeah. When he decides he's going to tell Maester Pycelle that he's going to sell um, Marcella to Dorne and have her marry Tristane from Dorne, he tells Littlefinger that uh, he wants him to, uh, to marry Robin Aaron from the Vale, and he tells Varys that he's going to marry her to Theon Greyjoy and yeah. get the ships from beyond. So he tells three different people that he's marrying his uh, niece Marcella to three different countries, and he's like, when it comes back in Cersei tells like Cersei freaks out and tells me like where they're gonna where, where we're gonna send her yeah. I know who betrayed me and that's exactly what happened uh, Maester Pycelle told Cersei and Cersei is uh, like you will not send my daughter to Dorne he's like Dorne's no, yeah. the safest place for her and then he goes back into Maeser Pycelle and he's like yeah, you you ratted on me. You're in my sister's pocket. He's like, no. He's like legit. I only told you that was going to Dorne. So uh, okay. yeah. And then he cut it like, again. Bran cut his beard and all that fun stuff. But um, one thing I wanted to bring back too is because we haven't talked. No, we haven't talked about a lot. Bran, Stan, well, Stannis. Oh, Stannis. Yeah, because right it. now Bran hasn't had much going on. Like because right now we're only you know towards the end of season or episode two of season two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the like Stannis and things that are going on there. We start to meet uh, um, Salador San, who's a Lyseni pirate, who's a good friend of uh, Ser Davos, who was a uh, he was a crab handler's uh, son in Flea Bottom. and he grew up because he was a great smuggler to become a knight when he saved uh, Stannis and everyone at Storm's End, bringing them food. Because they, they, I remember Stannis saying, like, you know, they ate rats, they ate cats, they ate dogs, they ate horses. Yeah. They were about there. They, he thought I was going to die because she was so frail at that point. And then he finally came in with, with everything they needed to smuggle the past uh, the, when they were the Sea of Storm's End. Yeah. Very, Very
1: interesting character
0: too, really. Sir Davos is God he, He's another one that they follow as well. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. He, he's got to be a top five guy because he gives like sound counsel uh, you know he never held any sort of grudge against Stannis for taking his knuckle bones for being a smuggler but also raised him to like no it was a fair punishment anything that Stannis said he went along with it but he tried to give him just counsel and tried to like tell him hey like I don't think that you should do that like, he, he would he would obey if it came to it but he tried to really talk sense
1: into him I mean, lot. another, you know, kind of jumping at the minute, so not get too into this, but if it wasn't for Sir Davos, that there is a big pivotal scene that happens um, that involves Rinley. and if that never happened, the whole outcome could have changed. It would have changed. 100% yeah. would have changed. And uh, what's funny, too, is it's, you know, he's a... It, Another thing, giving off and Wise credit, because they really did an amazing job even putting their own characters in things, and making their own, but also staying true to the books. Because Sir Davos, he really doesn't play that big of a role in the books. He doesn't even exist, as far as that one pivotal scene goes. He's not even in it in the books. Yes, he is. And that one scene <laughs> I'm
0: thinking about. Yeah, you're talking about her, like he he takes her underneath the storm Zen and like she has a shadow baby and it goes through the
1: yeah yeah is he 100 selling that yeah
0: you sure 100 ah oh, see this is why I gotta go back yeah man no yeah like that, that that happened almost like um, it happened very very
1: similar no, you know what I'm thinking, what? thinking of what I'm thinking of uh, Sir Davos was not the leader this jumps that's why I got that confused okay Sir Davos is not the leader of the fleet in the books. It winds up being his brother in law. His son. His Sir son. Mathos, yeah, yeah, that winds up uh, leading that fleet for Saints, yes. which that's later on. So, but each yeah, so you one wasn't that scene in the books. Each mm-hmm. one had a certain ship. Like, he had like three sons,
0: and like Mathos had one ship. He had one as well. Um, but you know, no, like he absolutely brought her underneath the Storm Zen, and, and that, that shadow scene happened as it happened. Uh, you know, and actually, this brings—I'm glad that you mentioned it because as much as that we think that jumps, it actually plays into what the, how uh, season or episode two of season two ended is when Stannis is seduced by Melisandre and he has sex with her on like the um, mm-hmm. like his battle plans in Dragonstone, right? And that's when like he he fills her with that seed so she can produce that shadow child. That's how it ends uh, for the Stannis side, and then it jumps to Jon Snow where he finds out what Craster does and like Craster knocks him out with like. The, the wooden thing, and that's, how, that's yeah. how episode two ends for season two. So as much as that might have jumped a little bit, it really played a big role into what just happened because that shadow baby would never have been inside of her if Stannis didn't, wasn't seduced by Melisandre in the uh, the battle plan
1: room in Dragonstone. Perfect. Yeah, because uh, yeah, it was Salus... Salador Stan that led that uh, ship
0: Salador San yeah, our, our, yeah, our little our little city pirate yeah, yeah
1: man uh, yeah they don't cause they don't talk about him at all in the show at all but yeah no, he didn't have a lot of the screen time at all and he
0: actually played really a little bit of a role in in Dragonstone like when Sir Dallas came back and everything he tried to like cause he knew he came back to try to kill Melisandre, and he brought him to the side pretty
1: much just like dude don't do it like yeah no he played a big role in the books no, um Definitely did. So that's who I was thinking of. But um, another guy that really kind of flexes his flexes his guns here, very similar to Tyrion that you were saying was during this whole Iron Islands incident, is you really see you know the father of Theon really doesn't give a shit about him
0: anything, at
1: yeah, at all. Like pretty much everything Theon proposed. He pretty much threw back in his face, almost like a disgrace, pretty much. You know it's really funny is, like, he walked in, he's like, i
0: have not had my son dressed like a girl. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he walks up great. and he's like, that, that golden pin, was that bought with gold or with iron? <laughs> and, you know, the iron price is, like, you kill a man and you take it off him. And he's like, it was a gold. He rips it right off him, right yeah. in front of his face. Like, he didn't care. You're right. Bailon like kind of marched to the beat of his own drum. But that's kind of his undoing on, you know, and this is where I kind of wish... The, that series that you were talking about, that kind of followed, uh, um, that got canceled, that followed Robert's Rebellion. Right. We've got to figure out what happened with Balon Greyjoy and, and things of that nature. But right. I've got to assume it's his own pride and its own his own like, no, I'm going to do it my way. That yeah. really was his undoing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yeah, yeah, man. And
1: then as far as like, it makes you wonder if Theon had just listened to his predecessors. You know, things could have been so different between his entire relationship with the Starks. Dude, he wouldn't have been
0: captured by the Bastard Bolton. Like, uh, he would uh, you know, the Dreadfort there. Like, he wouldn't have taken one. He would have just did his job. And, bro, right here on the next one, you'll see it. You guys can see. It. I wrote down, Fion had that moment where he decided... He was going to become a great joy instead of, you know, keeping loyalty with the Starks. He right. wrote out a full letter to Rob, and he debated and looked at it and was like, yeah. decided to burn it. This is exactly—I paused it. I got deep with this guys. I paused it on the screen. I wrote down exactly what Theon wrote in that letter. He said, "Rob, I hope this reaches you in time. My father has rejected the offer and plans to attack the North, raiding the shores and taking Deepwood Mott. Mobilize your army and make it north before it's too late." I'll unite with you again when I can. He like he had everything he going for him. If he would have just sent that raven, and he had to make that internal struggle, like, am I a Greyjoy or am I a Stark? And he burns the letter.
1: And, and I mean, I think that's... It's very ironic. He actually decides to side with the Greyjoys. Because if you almost go all the way back to the Starks, the Starks have supported him... In these decisions the entire time, and then every time he's run into a Greyjoy, they've conflicted against him. So it's very yeah, ironic. Yeah, he decided to go with that
0: because you know, he was he a, like a respect. brother
1: to Rob. And I
0: think this is what it is. He wanted the respect of his own family. He already had the respect of the Starks. They put him in a high, a high ranking, and like he was Rob's right hand man. Yeah. Right. So now he's like. You know, he's getting that respect from the Starks. He wants it from his own family. Yeah. And sometimes, when you want respect from your own family, you do things that are out of character, which uh, you know leads to what he did and why he ended up being punished the way he is. Yeah, uh, his, his art goes sad. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's for rough sure. Rough, but man. you know what? You know, you reap what you sow, man. Reap what you sow. And now, now as we kind of like, do the uh, um, the inauguration of episode three of season two. John finds out GR Mormont, the Lord Commander, knew the whole time of what Caster does with his sons. Bran figures out that he's a Warg, which really it does does more about that on uh, season one than it is given it credit. But a Warg, if you guys don't know, which obviously you do if you've seen Game of Thrones, it's sort of he, like, he becomes the wolf. Uh, you know, he's got that that connection with um, Summer is his uh, wolf. And one thing I want to mention, because we talked about all the wolves, we didn't name them out for everybody last time, yeah. let's go ahead and give the audience like the names of all the wolves. right? There was Lady, who was Sansa's direwolf, Nymeria was Arya's direwolf, Shaggy Dog was Recon's direwolf, uh, Summer was Bran's direwolf, and Grey Wind was Rob's direwolf, those are the five Starks, then obviously Ghost, uh, Ghost was Jon Snow's uh, direwolf that he found too. So. Those are all the direwolves that have that, uh, like that mark with the, with all of them, and so they all have. Uh, in the books, it's really, really talked it's about it a lot more. It's the books. Huge about the the, um, the level of um, even this scene intimacy the in the between the wolves and, and the. Stars. It goes into the whole visions he's having. Yeah. yeah, he starts like he's running around. He sees himself in yeah. the pond, and he's the wolf. Um, but in the books, like. Uh, like not to jump around dollar seasons, but it's a real big running theme. We're in the series. It's really not. It's really and, not. And at it's at really all. Yeah. Like, you know, that's something I think that they messed up on because I, I think the books do a really good job getting that justice.
1: Yeah, they really do. Which goes into their whole house. Like that's part of the whole reason, you know, they represent with the wolf. And that's where I do say the show they kind of messed up on as far as taking that away because It doesn't really... Yes, you can identify it with the Targaryens as far as, you know, the symbol of the dragon. You know, House of Fire, right? Uh, Fire and blood. However, as far as the Lannisters go and the Starks, the Starks, their big thing was, you know, they can warg into these wolves and, you know, the one wolf dies, the pack survives. They're really all about family. The Lannisters, you know, they have all the money, right they have all the gold they have you know the bravery and kind of the heart like a lion right but it never really goes into as far as why they really identify with the symbol of the lion and i feel like the shows definitely could have done a better job on that however it is tough for me to criticize because they i felt like they did fit in all they could because you can only drag it out so long
0: and uh, you know what
1: I'm gonna throw you guys an unpopular opinion, play
0: devil's advocate a little bit. I'm not saying this is how I feel, but I can see the argument with the Lannisters being a sympathetic house. Because if you think about it, no one respects the Lannisters. They're thought of as like treacherous, they betrayed their own king even though they were going to overthrow the king anyways, it doesn't make sense to me. but. Robert Baratheon never loved Cersei. Cersei loved Robert, wanted to be his queen until like the, the night that he lay with her and he said Lyanna Stark's name. Like, <laughs> but uh, so Ned Stark hated the Stark because they joined the battle too late. and Always questioned their honor and integrity. Robert Baratheon like out of duty because they, they had gold. It's almost like that friend that buys everything for you, but you don't like anyways. And so like like you can kind of see where it comes. Like they have to earn everything. Um, through Jamie's glory being like a top swordsman Cersei actually is very very intelligent and manipulative yeah um, Tyrion he uses his mind but as a house like they're almost looked down upon by the other houses because they see them as all you're good for is your gold right. and you know as yeah. anybody like you know if, if I'm if I'm like a guy who's got a lot of money and my friends only want to use me for my money that makes you feel bad man like that like, like I can kind of see how they're a sympathetic house like you know, no one respects us. They think all we're good for is the fact that we have money and castles really the rock. But no one has any love for us. Like people love the Starks, people love the Baratheons. Like you know, when, when uh, Robert died, how many people like flocked to Renly? Like so, like hundred thousand were flocked to Renly. And Stannis, like he had the love of very few people. But the Lannisters, outside of themselves, nobody loved
1: them. At all. It's just so hard for me to find sympathy with them, too. And I identify with the Lannisters, ironically. which is really funny. I, like, that's what I'm
0: saying. Unpopular opinion. I can see, like, you know, if I'm a Lannister, I'm like, dude, like, I've got to do what i got to do to keep my, you know, to keep it yeah. going. Because, you know, what Tywin was saying in, in Harrenhal is, like, you know, I, like, Arya said, did you ever know your father? He's like, yeah, like, he loved us very much, but he almost let our house and name go into ruin. And so, because of that, that's why they're so malicious and they do all the things they need to do is because they want to keep their house name relevant instead of being forgotten along the great houses
1: because nobody cares or loves about them. Which, uh, let's go into that for a minute, right? I do feel like the Starks and the Lannisters, it really goes into detail as how much they do love their houses and their oaths in this book, um, and as far as the TV show goes. If you even skip up, which we're not going to go into this much because that's for a later episode, but Brienne going all the way to season 7, she goes, Jamie. this goes way beyond Houses and Oaths. And it just goes to show how much she thought of his house, how far he's willing to go for it. The Targaryens, it's almost like if you go all the way back to before, if you go read uh, Song of Ice and Fire, History of Fire and Ice, and Fire and Blood, you'll kind of see that Aegon the Conqueror, it was literally like it's definitely whatever we gotta do to just get to the top, that's what we're gonna do. I don't care if everyone dies, we're just gonna do whatever we gotta do. Now, they cared for each other, yes, but as far as Odes go, screw the Odes. As far as the Lannisters go, it is still about getting to the top, but they're still trying to do it the right way, as far as even going back to Ned, right? Cersei was even willing to be like... You know, let's just send you to the Night's Watch. It wasn't until Joffrey was really kind of taking his reign here that things got out of control.
0: Yeah, but I, I think as I still... Outside of their family, when they were, when they would talk about their family and everything they did for the family, I agree with you. They, would, they, they had that uh, kind of bond and oath thing going, but they didn't really do things the right way for anybody. They did it only for themselves. They were a lesser Targaryen. And so the only thing that separated... Lannisters and Targaryens is that, number one, Targaryens had way more power with the dragons and people feared them, Right. Lannisters had a lot of money. And that's the only thing. Like, I really, they still, uh, you know, Cersei does later on with all the people like she tortures and, you know, we'll get into that stuff later, but I would not by any means say the Lannisters did everything <laughs> the right way. Um, it's just like, I can see why they, you know, to keep pace with all the other big names, they did what they did to stay relevant. I'm not saying, like, you know, I was right by any means and I don't love the Lannisters. I'm saying I could see where the sympathy would come in because if you think about it, the Starks, the Baratheons, the Targaryens, everybody held all of them in some sort of esteem or love, and the Lannisters, no one liked.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, you still got to see, like, they didn't just go, just take over people to take over people. They did whatever they had to to get to the top. So I'm saying I can see your point as far as sympathy. Now, as far as doing things the right way, that's my point of I can't really find a whole lot of sympathy for them. But I can see the point as far as you're coming from. As if you look as far as just within their family, at least they uphold their oaths. It wasn't really until, you know, they had really that first dictatorship with Joffrey. He just went off the rocker is
0: basically what happened. Jamie kind of broke every oath he ever had, right? The number one, killing his own... King with, with uh, Aerys Targaryen, and number two, bedding his sister. Like you know, like these are like these are things you know. Especially as part of one of the king's guard, you're not meant to take a woman. Like you're, you're. It's almost like the Nights nice Watch, where you know that that's it. You know, you don't, you don't father any sons, and that's why Tywin later on gets mad at Jamie for not renouncing the king's guard and going back to Casterly, Lock and, Casterly Rock and fathering the son there and becoming lord there. So, I mean, Jamie breaks every single, oath. man, <laughs> you could probably think it. And, you know, uh, that's one of the things they say when he's in captive, actually, you know, to kind of bring it back here to Clash to, um, of Kings in season two, is uh, Catelyn, you know, says, you would have no shred of honor, you know, because he's literally broken every oath he's yeah, had to Uh,
1: But But as far as their own house goes... Yeah, no, in in between, the Lannisters have a lot of love for the other Lannisters. Like, even going all the way to the end here, jumping way far. In the end, he's still... Remember, this is jumping very far, which you probably read the books or seen the show by this point. But, you know, he chooses Cersei in the very end. Always has. So they're always putting their family first. Oh, yeah, no, they are the family that puts their family first. 100%.
0: Um, you know another thing that we've got to talk about now is in episode 3 <laughs> of season 2 this is where we meet Marjorie Tyrell she was betrothed to uh, Renly obviously for appearances only Renly and Sir Loras they were having their own affair and you know he couldn't put a baby in Marjorie because he couldn't get it up <laughs>
1: I mean like yeah, it right, right.
0: sounds like yeah. he's like you've got duties to en- like, Sir Loras told him in the tent you've got duties to another Tyrell Marjorie comes in, tries to get things going, and just nothing happens. He's not attracted to her. By the way, what a bombshell beauty she is, Marjorie. Yeah. That was a great cast. Yeah, great cast. A great. great cast. Um, you know, so she wants to be queen and she wants to have Renly's baby put inside her, but like, he can't do anything because he's not attracted to her. So he's like, he's she goes right, yeah. as far as saying, well, you know, we can bring my brother in here to get things started, and that's when like he he like had that shock, like oh shit, like. Yeah. Other people might right. know. Well, like if she yeah. knows, like, well, who else might know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because back then, like, that's that's punishable. You know, going into the High septum season, way yeah. later, way later. Oh, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. The High Sparrow. The High Sparrow. Right. You know, that's that's a one of those real big punishable quote unquote sins for a later season. So yeah, you know, we meet her for the first time. Um, Renly gives Brienne Tartic girl uh, a place in the Kingsguard. She's the first ever woman in anyone's Kingsguard that had a rainbow cloak out of it. You know, and, and how cool is she,
1: man? She's pretty cool. Uh, And she's really just getting started in this season. Mm -hmm. And as far as this book goes, she starts to play a major role. Yeah. And definitely, Feast for Crows is a big one, and then going into season three and four.
0: And it's so weird because, like, uh, did you think when you first started reading or seeing her, like,
1: is this person really going to be a main character? I, like, thought she was just kind of, like, you know, one of those. uh, Attention beauties! (laughs) Like, like, okay, it's something great on screen to look at for a while. Like, we didn't didn't think she was really gonna play. I didn't. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like, she's stunning. Like, she she killed it, man. She did.
0: She did her her thing. Like, did they? I don't know how because we we've only got to what um, the Dance with Dragons in the books. We're still waiting on the other two, so we don't know how it goes with her. You know, books wise. But you know, when you're watching this series for the first time, it's like she's just a glorified bodyguard. You know, she goes, jumps from Renly to Lady Catelyn. So you think she's just doing these like high house names, like people's bidding, and she turns out to be one of the very focal points of like why like, a lot of people survive the yeah, entire surely, series, man. Yeah. So yeah, Brand talked like this was a big moment, meeting her and her becoming part of the guard because she ends up being in the tent when everything kind of goes down that way. Um, Baelon joy while this is going on, reveals his plan to contr- like, take control of the North, while Rob fights in the South. Basically, uh,
1: says F you to Rob, um, so that rob says, yeah,
0: <laughs> yep, absolutely.
1: And, um, and what's funny is it, it kicks up a little bit later, but it's around this time. You mentioned Marjorie, right? Yep. Kind of foreshadowing here. Remember, uh, this Cersei starts messing around with the wildfire. Yeah, the green wildfire, sure. and we know what happens later on, which we'll get into, but that's almost like foreshadowing here, like she's just starting to really kind of get her, get her entire, you know, presence known in this realm, right, and at the same time, you know, as she's getting started, Cersei is already devising a downfall for her. So kinda, I, uh, it's,
0: I mean, it doesn't go that far yet because at this point she's still like Renly's still alive and she's still the jove. But one of the biggest things, and I think when you mentioned foreshadowing, which was really cool, is when Renly everything does happen to Renly. Uh, Littlefinger asks her like, "So you, do you still want to be a queen?" And she's like, "No, I want to be the queen." Yeah. and that's the foreshadow. Yeah. That's that's yeah. where yeah. it kind of takes mm-hmm. it down there. And then from you know all this is happening, the Gold Coast come back, they kill Yoren. They, they try to capture and kill Gen- Gendry, but um, Arya tells him that it was L- Lomni Greenhands, the one that he's like, you have to carry me, and he stabs him with Arya's sword through the neck. Right. Uh, so, they, like, at that point, they, don't, they think Gendry's dead, so no one's worried about Gendry anymore as being like a live bastard child of Robert Baratheon, but they still take all those slaves to Harrenhal, Um, to kind of be tortured to figure out. And we don't hear much about it, actually, at all. We only hear about them in name in the series. In the books, we hear about them a lot more, but the Brotherhood Without Banners. Yeah. yeah, They're they're really cool. They they don't get a lot of attention as it goes in the TV series, but in the books, they get a lot of time, especially when Arya ends up.
1: Another thing, too, is as this whole thing goes down, a lot of people think Arya is just this you know, very strong um, woman as she's starting to mature and she's, you know, this devout warrior that can handle her own and she is, don't get me wrong, but at the same time you really start to see here the emotions she goes through after Euron's dead and like what he really means meant for her, so I
0: don't want you guys to get confused there. Yoren is Orin. the great joy, yeah. is the yeah. uncle Orin. who goes
1: in later, but Yoren's not around yet. Yeah, Yoren yeah. is, is
0: the, the nice watch, and that's who he was mentioned there is as um, Now, this is this is where really things start to kick up a little bit when they get taken to Harrenhal because they start getting torched about the whereabouts of the Brotherhood without Banners. But also, this is where Jack and the comes up to Arya and says, "Hey, like, listen, you saved my life. You, like, you owe the I owe the Red Guard three lives. So you speak people's names." And they die. Basically, exactly what he said, right? So, mm-hmm. my question: Why does Arya choose Tywin Lannister? <laughs> this entire war is over if Jacken kills Tywin. The entire war, it's done. If you don't have, if Rob has Jamie and Tywin Lannister's dead, what do the Lannisters do? The Lannisters don't go back and save Blackwater Bay at the very end of that. They don't join the Tyrells. Littlefinger can't come into Harrenhal and have that audience with with Lord Tywin. If he's dead, I get so upset about this because, well, again, one of the small choices, like you're going to choose to kill a guy who's torturing other people. I get it. Very moral, high ground. Cool. But how about we take the head off the lion?
1: <laughs> like, I mean, of course, you wouldn't have a whole basically season four or season three at that point either. <laughs>
0: I know, I'm, just, I'm, I'm saying, like, I, obviously, I get why it had to be that way for the series. I'm saying, like, like in a tactical way, if you, are, you know, because what we like to do is we, we like to put ourselves in the minds and bodies of these characters. Like we kind of we kind of act like we're a right. part of the storyline. But and I think, like,
1: yeah. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, I keep interrupting you. Oh, um, you're good. This goes into what I was kind of saying before about um, I keep calling him Yorin. Yorin. Yorin, right? Yeah. That's how you say yeah. it. Yorin. Yep. Um, goes into what she was really going through, I think. I think it was more of an emotional decision. I, d- I think if she was where she was in season five, and if she was where she was, you know, in Dance of Dragons, this would have been a completely di- different decision. But realistically, I think that's why it went and showed, like, what she was really going through at this time. She really has that heart and feels for, you know, basically the people that have no mercy at that point. Like how, um, you know, Yorin just got completely taken out. She saw Ned, her own father's head get cut off. Uh, Spoiler alert, go watch episode one. (laughs) Um, But I mean, she's really kind of grieving at this moment and I think that's what happens is, I think it even goes into, the fact of later on, you know, kind of what she saw in Gendry. But it... I think it was a complete emotional decision on her part is why she made the decision that she did.
0: The thing is, I could buy that except for the fact that she tried to name Lord Tywin as he was leaving. Like, in the series, if you remember, he, she was racing to find Jackin when Lord Tywin was leaving Harrenhal. And, like, she's, like, like you know, that's why she asked, like, how, how fast can, like, you kill someone? She's, like, well, a man walks. He, he goes, like, a man walks as he walks, whether a month, a year, the name will be taken off the list. And that and they go, if she would have just done that first, she could have had the other guys killed that she wanted to have killed. Like, that's why I'm saying, like, she eventually got to the conclusion, hey, you know what, we got to kill Tywin. But, bro, like, if you, if you take him first, everything's done.
1: Which, I'm, that like, goes into, that you actually bring up a really good point. Then it makes you wonder, though, was she doing it to get more information? Like, maybe she was wondering if Tywin really wasn't the whole string puller at this time. Because remember, she becomes the cupbearer, which in the book, it's shown really well in the show, uh, but in the book, she doesn't become the cupbearer. They're still right. in the same area. in the
0: kitchens, yeah.
1: Right, but she doesn't actually have that role. And a lot of times, they don't even interact like, when they're passing each other and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So it makes you wonder if really, you know, George was doing this and being often wise because maybe as a character, she thought maybe he wasn't the one pulling all the strings. She needed to find out more information. Well, I remember in the
0: books, too, because, like, uh, Jackin was trying to bug her about, like, hey, give me that third name and before she names him. Um, she, like, he's like, do you want me to kill King Joffrey? Is it Cersei? Is it Lord Tywin? Like, she, like, he was asking. Like, you know, he brought his own name up, and like, she said, no, Jack and Agar. Like, which we'll get into why she had to do that so she could escape Hall And here's another thing too about this whole deal at Hall is that in the books, it goes from control by uh, Lord Tywin. He had, he holds Harrenhal for a little bit, and then uh, like, um, what are they? They're called a certain. I can't think of the name. And it's really bugging me.
1: Describe it, I can
0: check They are basically the people who Lord town pays. Uh, the, oh, the, the Bloody Mummers or something like that? I think it's, it, yeah, it's something, that, something Mummers. They're the ones that hold all for that until Arya in the book's does that you know? Throws the suit mm-hmm. thing, and they they releases um, yeah, the Great John Umber, yeah. and the North takes control. Yeah. You guys remember the North takes control of Harrenhal again,
1: right? Yeah, like, yeah like, like, She re- yeah.
0: Like she releases them from the captivity, the Great Great John Umber, because they got they took him captive from one of the battles. But the Bloody Mummers, those are the ones that held Harrenhal after Lord Tywin left, and they kind of don't have any sort of allegiance to anybody. There's whoever pays them, and so that that's why like you know in the series all you see about Hall is that, you know, Lord Tywin leaves, she tells Jack and Agar, you know, I'm going to name you unless you get me out of here. He gets them out of there and that's it. Where in the books, it, it really goes between three different factions of who holds Hall. Tywin holds it first, then the Bloody Mummers, then the North.
1: Yeah, the Bloody Mummers, that's what they were called. Yeah. Um, but going even back to Arya at this point, right, she's really never been the person to just jump in to cut the head off a snake. If you think about it, with her entire list, yeah, she took them one by one, but even going, if you're jumping seasons here, which we're not trying to do, but I think this scene brings up a very good point. Remember when she was even getting, you know, the clams and, uh, you know, the seashells and everything, and she was going up to that one guy, and he's like, needs more vinegar, and she was, she always spectates the situation and almost make sure she's 100% on everything before she actually marks someone off the list. So I think that probably had part of it to do. I mean, because anyone could just jump in there and be like, oh, well, let's go ahead and kill Joffrey. Well, when that happens, well, it doesn't exactly just go all hunky-dory either. Well, the thing
0: is, for Joffrey, I think she wanted wanted to kill Joffrey and Cersei herself. Mm -hmm. I think that had a lot to do with it. Lord Tywin, I really believe that if she would have (laughs) just stuck with him first this whole thing's over if you've got the Kingslayer you've got Lord Town dead the Glannister army has got nothing right. and that's over obviously it doesn't go that way and it goes the way it goes but um, that's definitely you raise a good point though
1: it. I like it um, man that's it? just I feel like it's almost too much of a stretch because who's who's to say then what if we're just in the same situation we are like when with Tyrion, you know, a season later, right? Like, I mean, did it really make that much of a difference? For
0: sure, 100% made a lot of difference, because uh, at this point in time, the only reason that the Battle of Blackwater Bay went the way it did, Stannis had that one, I mean, we're jumping ahead to kind of like the last episode here, the second to last episode, Stannis had Blackwater Bay won until the Lannisters and the Tyrells took him from behind. Which, so yeah. Littlefinger would never been able to um, broker that deal between the Tyrells and the Lannisters at the time when was dead.
1: That's a good point. And then there's also another guy that is mentioned in passing uh, around this time from uh, what's his name? Sanston? Sanston? Stanis? <laughs> Stannis, uh, Stannis, Stannis, Stannis. Stannis. I always mess up these names. Uh, you know, he does talk a little bit in passing later on about his bastard son, about his bastard child. And we know who that is later on, um, just as far as foreshadowing of what the role he really plays um, after, you know, Theon goes on his little rampage for a minute. Are you talking about Roose Bolton? Uh, well, Roose Bolton, yeah, yeah. Roose Bolton. uh,
0: Stannis Stannis didn't have a bastard son, he only had the daughter. um, Yeah, Roose Bolton.
1: When he was uh, talking to Theon in, um... Was it Harehelm? is where he still was, or up in Winterfell? He was up in Winterfell, right?
0: Roose Bolton was with Rob Stark, and he was fighting Atlantis Court in the south. And that's when he sent, uh, you know, he, he asked Rob, he's like, hey, let me send my bastard son to retake Winterfell. I can take 500 men, they're only holding it with 20, we can take it within the fortnight. So Roose Bolton, that, that's when we kind of like hear about his bastard. Stannis only had daughters, and that was part of the problem and why he... Ended up being seduced by Melisandre is because she said she would bear him a son. Where, his, it, yeah. where his
1: uh, Bruce current Bolton. wife? Yeah, that's who I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, Bruce Bolton.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, what a piece of work he is. He ends up being, you know, we'll we'll talk about that later. But Bruce Which, Bolton.
1: Yeah, that gets in later. Um,
0: but this this is the time that we need to talk about um, Bruce Bolton a little bit because yeah, that's what all he, that bring, happens, he brings that he brings those terms. Like, hey, listen, you know, Theon. Oh, you know, the, Rob finds out Theon betrayed him. Rob's like devastated because Dion was like a brother to him, and he's like, you know, I want to, I want to know why. I'm gonna be the one to cut his head off. Like, I want to know why he would do this to us, you know. Um, and that's when Bruce is like, listen, I'll, I'll, we'll take care of it. Like, send my bastard. We can do this. That's when you first hear about the bastard of the Dreadfort, who becomes a huge, huge key counterpiece later on. And then also, at this time, completely different from the books from the series, this is this is one of the things that they just went off on their own thing. Yeah. And it kinda worked. I kinda like how they I did it like in the it. books, I like how they did it in the series too. Rob meets Talisa. Yeah. Right? Like a Talisa. Yeah, it, it is. So she does not exist in the books. He ends up marrying Jean in the books from Castomir. Oh. So he like Talisa doesn't exist. She's not a real person. <laughs> like this is something that uh Benninghoff and Weiss, they decided to throw in there of their own accord, and it worked it really worked for what they were looking to do.
1: Yeah, it really kind of gave Rob that romance
0: that you yes. really never get to see. Right. And in the, in the books, like I said, like you like you don't get any sort of information about who this Jean girl is until he brings after they take Lannisport, and he brings Jean to his mother and in the, you know, in the in the books and introduces like you see on screen this budding romance from when Talisa really doesn't like Rob because What's the first thing, one of the first things that he says, like, hey, the boy who lost his leg was lucky you're here. And she's like, well, he was unlucky that you were. Like, you know, because yeah. she just wanted no war. She was the healer, trying to, you know, make you know, everyone better, this heal the sick, making sure people don't die. So their romance really starts, you know, on a rocky edge, just like any great romance. You know, they don't really like each other. Like, Rob's taken by her, wants to, like, pursue her. She kind of is, you know, oh, you're just a conqueror. Like, you don't yeah. care about the people. But then she sees how he interacts with his people. Dude, you guys have to remember how much Rob's army loved him. He would go throughout the entire barracks and just, like, shake people's hands, look at helmets people made, like, clap people on the back. One of the first things that Tywin says in Heron Hall is, like, we're waiting for the Stark Boy to fail. He's not going to fail. Yeah. That's what he says. He's not going to fail. Like, we can't like we have to stop waiting for him to do something wrong like he's never lost a ballot that he's fought yet and so you know and his, his, they say his people worship him that was his words his people worship him and you know that's so huge and you start to see that Talisa realizes how much how good he is as a person he's not trying to do this for his own self-interest he believes in justice because you know his father was wrongfully executed right. and, and you know that, that really kind of breaks my heart you know we go into the next season that was my guy but uh, yeah so they, they start budding their romance uh, but she doesn't ex- that's one of the big differences yes. she doesn't exist in the books
1: which uh, Jean you know in the books uh, she was actually from uh, Westerling the Westerlands and it was just really like this small little town it was kind of like a really there was really nothing I'll be honest there was nothing really exciting about it like he just kind of steps on his side note
0: yeah he was really fighting all like fucking
1: people on side he hey yeah. I like this girl Nothing really like, you know. like, she has really no relationship. I mean, she has, you know, her father was kind of a big deal in Westerling. Um, but, I mean, she really, you really don't even know a whole lot about her in the books, honestly. I no. Mean, she's just kind of there.
0: Um, you know what, dude, and I wonder, and I, I haven't gotten this far, and I'll be 100% honest, I have not gotten, I'm only about a, like a, a half of the way through A Feast for Crows, but do you remember Sansa's friend from Winterfell in the very beginning, Gene Poole? Yeah. I wonder if it's the same gene. Gene Gray. I wonder if it's the same gene. Because like because if you remember, what's up happening in the books when they take Ned Stark's head is they like they after they do that, they Spoiler. remove <laughs> right, yeah. they, they remove, uh, Sansa and Jean were staying together in the Tower of the Hand. Mm-hmm. They remove Gene Poole from it and we never hear her or see her again. So like, we don't know if she's That's actually a good. Where point. she goes is Jean Cole yeah. the one that like marries Rob Stark in the books haven't gotten that far yet if
1: you guys know. That was a really good point. you know yeah, comment on this video. So yeah,
0: interesting. I wonder if it's the same
1: Jean. Um and it makes you wonder because you know George kind of started giving Wise, and bidding half their freedom to do whatever they wanted, because he still didn't finish *Wins a Winner* yet. Still hasn't. <laughs> <all this, laughs> hopefully, it comes out the summer, right? Um, so they kind of came out with, you know, this girl for Rob, as far as, you know, kind of getting that you know, emotional romance side, and you kind of see him, like, fall for this role. And at first you so thought... so beautiful.
0: It was so beautiful.
1: <laughs> that hurts my
0: heart, man. It really does. Yeah.
1: I it's, mean, for that side, too, you start... That's what kind of set it apart from Spartacus and stuff, right? Because you thought it was just going to be a bunch of sex scenes, which... We got one. We got one. Right? <laughs> yeah. But, um... You see, he actually... You see, Rob actually really does have that sounds so uh, ironic like Tony Stark really has a heart right <laughs> um, but no he really does care for this girl And whereas in the books you know she's just there almost like a I don't want to say a betrothal Dude, he just she doesn't
0: exist Lisa doesn't exist in the books like, No, I mean I mean yeah but yeah. like even, even so like, I mean we have been in the books it was alluded to how much he cared for her to like really put everything at stake to marry her yeah. in the books so like I still believe, like, his heart and love was there. But, man, like, what a way to put it on screen. This is where we have to give a shout, to Ben how the wise, because this was something that they, they pulled on their own. Did on their own, And yeah. it worked really well. And it built an emotional connection between yeah, yeah, those yeah, two to where that. when next season happens, bro, you're heartbroken.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, heartbroken. So, which, uh, real quick, we never mentioned this. Um, this is just a little minor detail. But in the books, when Tyrion does become the hand, it's actually, he doesn't get the hand pin. It's actually a necklace at mm-hmm. that point so it, um, that's a little tiny detail that was different also Bran you know he spends a lot more time um, with you know in the show with the maester right whereas in the books it's actually a, uh, it's that drum, I want to say drums guy it's the guy that uh, sees nightmares in green visions in green oh he hasn't come into play yet
0: uh, you're talking about
1: Jory Jory, yeah, yeah, that's his name. Jory I don't remember what his name was. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so those are just a that, little bit of details.
0: But yeah, and then <laughs> and like that's another thing too. Like part of the brokered deal between the Freys and the Starks was that uh, Winterfell would take two Freys on his wards. Right. And so like you don't even hear about that in the series, and that becomes like a big thing later on because Brandon and Recon don't really get along with the two Frey wards. Um, You know, and so So, then when uh, no, not uh, it's Jojen, Jojen and Mira. Jojen, okay. You're the
1: name guy. There's so (laughs) many names in this book. Yeah,
0: Jojen and Mira (laughs) arrive, and um, yes, and you know what's really cool about uh, Jojen and Mira is that uh, their father was the one who helped Ned Stark defeat uh, Arthur Dayne, the Sword of the Morning, uh, Mm -hmm. to like help try to free Lyanna Stark. Yeah, but she wasn't there against right. her own will to begin with. But you don't know that at the time. Um, but yeah, so that that was huge. That the, in the books they do mention her uh, them a little bit, but in the series you don't hear about Jojen or Mira till the next season um, when they meet up with them later on. But yes, you're right. In the books they do hang out in Winterfell. Uh, Jojen and Mira.
1: Um, yeah, and, um, and that's one thing about this show, as you guys know um, from watching it or reading the books or. Say if you are just kind of jumping into this and just watched episode one, you know, you really got to pay attention close in Game of Thrones because there's so many names, so many characters, and they all converge, and every single little detail affects the other, and that's what's so amazing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then at this point, let's kind of jump back for just a second um, as far as there's two other plots going on here still. So you still have Joffrey, right? And then you also still have Danny that's going on. Yep. So she's still over at cough. car. The car. I almost feel a Yeah, It's so, yeah, word, it's so word, weird. But, like, they even correct her when she gets to the yeah. like, gate. Like, it's cough. <laughs> yeah, cough, cough. <laughs> and I remember in the books, there was even a part where she kind of like, um, right as she gets there, kind of like, uh, she actually kind of settles down there for a minute, but then when she gets to. Correct me if I'm starting to kind of jump ahead in our timeline, and we'll go back a little bit. But okay. she spends a lot of time at the House of Undying.
0: Way that's, okay. ahead. That's like
1: at the end of season two. Gotcha. Right? So there yeah. go. Yeah, well, we're still kind of halfway there. <laughs> oh, she, so in, in, at this
0: point in Kauff, where, where she's at, is she has her own little, um, where she's staying it in one of the properties owned by Zaro on Doxus. Okay, uh, there we are. They, they, yeah. That's where she, like, you start to hear uh, her teaching, the dragons, Dracarys, and firing that little piece of, like, meat. You saw them, you see them charring that little that's piece right. of meat. That's right, okay, yeah. And she's, like, you know, she's, the, she, at this point in time, like, okay. she's enjoying cough. Like, she goes to, like, mingle with people, that's when the warlock really, like, introduces himself, does that one trick where you see two of them introducing themselves. She's got to tell her own, um, Kalisar they're not allowed to steal anything because they took them in from dying, mm-hmm. so... The House of the Undying is a little bit further ahead in season two, which is crazy because there's a lot of things that we talked about before yeah. we started the episode today mm-hmm. about, um, wow, I didn't notice this the first two times I watched the series, Yeah, uh, some of the visions and things of that nature. But
1: you, were, you were right, by the way. That's what I kind of I remember in the books, too, she just kind of starts to settle in there yeah. for a minute. Oh, she's almost like enjoying the place mm-hmm. before some stuff goes down. She 100% is
0: enjoying the place. Yeah, yeah
1: 100%. Which, in contrast over here, Sansa isn't exactly enjoying. Oh no, enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> Sans,
0: You know, great. I, this is this ties in perfectly to what, what episode four, which is where we're at right now. Uh, Joffrey is beating Sansa because of Robb Stark's win at Lannisport. So he's beating Ro- uh, Joffrey's beating Sansa for his latest victory. And then, my, in the books, it's different. But I, lo- I honestly, I like where the series went here on, on screen. Tyrion run like kind of comes in. What is the meaning of this? Like, you know, she like she's got nothing to do with what Rob Stark's doing. She's not, uh, you know, she she's a girl at your throne room. How she, does she have any sort of control about what happens on the battlefield leagues away? And you know, you can't talk to me like that. X Y and Z. And uh, Sir Meron Trant, who was the one beating uh, Sansa, was like, I will not sit here while you threaten my king. And Tyrion's like, I'm not threatening the king. I'm educating my nephew. Bronn, if Sir Marin talks again, kill him. <laughs> That's a threat. See the difference. That was, that was my
1: favorite thing Tyrion's in the entire ever said. It was a, uh, absolutely phenomenal.
0: <laughs> That's a threat. See the difference. Like, <laughs>
1: that was awesome. And, and how cool that he shut his mouth, too. But, but did not say a word. Oh, not at all. And this really goes into the display of, you know... And like I was saying last episode, season one and two, you really get to see that pompous attitude of Tyrion where he's really trying, you know, his own family members and he's showing, listen, like, I don't care what your authority is over here, I'm still going to show my weight around you.
0: And it's not even just his weight, he's doing it for the good of the realm. Like, he's trying to do oh, the yeah. right things for the people. For the people. people. Yeah, for the for people. Like, that's who they rule, where like, the Lannisters are only worried about themselves, Joffrey specifically, Cersei just wants everything to go well for her children. Right. You know, like that's why he says one redeeming quality is you love your kids. That's what yeah. he tells her. Like, other than that, yeah. like they're very selfish as a family. Mm-hmm. Tyrion's the only one trying to do the good for everybody.
1: Yep. He is the only one. Um and as far as we'll go on to this for a minute, it is so much more grotesque and brutal in the books. And they don't show it actually. There's a part in that scene, you know, in the show, where Joffrey says "strip her down," yep, and then it gets stopped. And um, yeah, it gets the back dress off, rips it only like that. It's it gets a little stopped. Bit, yeah, that actually got stopped because they proposed it in the screenplay, and when it was originally going to air in the U.S. and U.K., they said we're not going to show this on screen. We refuse. And in the books. It is downright brutal. There is a part where one of the guys says uh, he recommends smashing a melon on her head just so it stops the beating, and then it stops. A lot of people don't realize, you know, down the road in the show where there is that one bad rape scene with Sansa, that wasn't the original time she was raped. Like, there were multiple rapes in here. There were multiple beatings. That she had... It was so bad that the Hound actually steps in and says enough.
0: Yeah, in the book he says enough. Now, I will say this. There was an attempted rape in the books. Because she, she was still a virgin when she ended up um, with Ramsay. With Ramsay, in, yeah. in the books as well. So, But she did suffer a lot worse in the books than she did. And it, it, as bad as you felt for her in the series, it was worse in the books. Which is so... You know, what what makes that interesting to me is... They showed so much, like, you know, detail and gore and, like, you know, naked people. You know, the fact that they decided they didn't want to screenplay that, that tells you
1: how important that, like, how that
0: scene was, man. Yeah, and go research
1: it, guys, because it literally... I think it was the original was the UK Broadcasting Company, and they said, we're not going to do this. And then from that, of course, you know, the US shortly followed. But it was the... Scene in... This is really a very emotional scene in the books where you almost feel torn up for her because... Not almost, you do. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't do it justice on screen. And on screen's... Bad enough. Bad enough. Bad enough, bad enough man. And what's so bad is still, as this innocent girl, for some reason, still continues to follow him. Now, the good news is you start to kind of see her... Realize the monster that he is, and start to break away. But it isn't really until that big pivotal scene that she kind of starts to break away from him.
0: I think the first thing that he did that really kind of broke the glass, so to speak, is when he forced her to look at her dad's head on the spike. That's when she really, like, after that, like, like she knew, but she wanted like self preservation, so she just. Went with whatever they said, so she, mm-hmm. you know, had as least of a bad time as she possibly could, yeah. given who the king was. Right. Um, but while this is all going on, we kind of sidetracked away from what Callum was doing with Renly, trying to come to terms about, you know, Rob Stark and Renly joining forces together. And when she's when she's going through this, uh, Littlefinger actually shows up. <laughs> yes. at Renly's can. Eh? He's a snake. It yes. is Oh man. One of the, the craziest things, too, is that he's out of his mind because he walks in and, and then she's like, How dare you be changed? He's like, You might have heard some false reports. Bro, there's no false reports. You held a neck to Ned Stark's neck. And it's like, I told you not to trust me. There's no false reports there, man. Yeah. He's, like, he's like, But Fate has given this opportunity for us to be together again. Mm-hmm. Like, and she pulls on. I was like, You are out of your mind. Right, yeah. But what, what's he do? He brings her Ned Stark's bones, which was a big move by Tyrion to allow them to have to, to place the bones beneath the crypts at Winterfell where he rightfully belonged. So that shows you like the compassion that Tyrion has. He's an all-around good person and he wants other people, you know, he wants everyone to have the best of everything. Like given the situation, Tyrion really is the good guy here. Like he out of good faith, the Starks gave the Lancers nothing. Out of good faith, Tyrion orders Littlefinger to give Cal and Ned Stark's bones, so he can return to Winterfell, and that's when he brings the terms to her instead of Robb Stark, who's the king of the North, who's got all this stuff going on. He's like, "Listen, we've got Sansa," and kind of lies. See, he did this weird manipulation. He didn't quite lie. She said he said both girls are safe and healthy. He didn't say that the Lannisters yeah. had Arya, which they didn't. He said both girls are safe and healthy, so technically, it was true. But yeah. he left Catelyn thinking that they had both Sansa and Arya to make it more appealing for her to kind of release Jamie out of Robb's knowledge to trade Jamie for Sansa and Arya when
1: really they only had Sansa.
0: Which, that's a
1: big point, because as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, he never even met up with Catelyn in the books. Did he? Like, I know he's involved in that scene, but I don't think he went and talked to the, her directly. I think he did.
0: Yes, let me see.
1: You know what, guys? I don't think we, he did. We got the books here. Let's I literally take, don't think he let's did. Let's take a look and see. Which is this is why it's a debate show, because me and Josh always go back and forth.
0: And this, I, I'm uh, with you. Because I want to know now. Because I don't myself. think
1: he went directly to Catelyn at that point. I know he was involved in this, but I don't think he... Um, no, I don't. I don't think he did.
0: Well, let's take a look, man. So, while, while I'm looking for that here as well, uh, this is where, at this point in the series, that Renly and Stannis, they meet each other for the first time, and, like, they kind of, like, come to... They, they almost Yeah,
1: I actually got it right here. Well, believe it or not, I found it. Because I wrote it down from there. Littlefinger... This is what I wrote, so maybe I was reading a different story. <laughs> but I said, uh, Littlefinger doesn't go to Renly's camp in the books. Uh, and Callan and ne- a Littlefinger would never meet, so he's involved in that, but he never actually went to her directly in the books, from what I remember.
0: So I'm gonna, I'm looking into it right now. But one thing I think that's really important at, at this point, especially talking about the series, is Renly and Stannis. They have that like confrontation where like Renly's mocking him. Yeah, like, like like straight up mocking Stannis and like this is what kind of leads to the, that real big first time like the blood dark magic oh, yeah. that we talk mm-hmm. about because like you kind of almost want Stannis to win the throne if you think about it like at least me yeah I, read, reading do. the books I kind of wanted Stannis to win the throne like technically if we go by line of succession he's the one that like deserves and earns it he's worked his way through he, he even gave storms uh, he even agreed to Robert to give storms End to Renly when it really was his by birth right like he's done everything right to this point but then, like, he does this blood-dark magic shit that really, really turns you against him. Um, so kind of kind of talk about the relationship between Renly and Stannis.
1: I mean, I think this is kind of where it all goes wrong, actually. I mean, this is when you're starting to get into that point where, of course, that whole... Uh, you know, he gets Davos to sneak out, Melisandre... Um, and then she gives birth to that shadow and then this is when it all becomes a big mess, um, which ultimately leads to, you know, Renly's assassination, which was a
0: big turning point. There's a major
1: turning point. Renly could have won the war. it it changed the entire, entire show. It changed the entire book. It changed the entire show. And yeah, I mean. You gotta think Davos. Davos. Yeah, I mean, more in the seasons, you kind of start gaining respect for Davos, but he's kind of a sneaky guy himself, honestly. I think it's he's So, like, he's like an old snake, like almost one I that's like a seventy-year-old so. guy that really still tries to get one over on you. He's like that guy. Thing. I think he's loyal to a fault. He he me if you have a guy at work, right? that's really old but still wants that promotion but they won't promote him because he's old so he's still going to get one of on here and holding blackmail I feel like that's what Davos is I
0: don't feel that way at all I think Davos is like a, like a really good guy he like, seems that way because
1: he's bald and he has a beard
0: no but, but I think about all the great counsel he's tried to give he even told Stanisley leave Malessandre at Dragonstone or else people are going to think your victory is her victory Like he, they all I, the main thing I fault Sir Davos for is that like even after he gives a good counsel, he still follows like whatever Stannis says, regardless because he's his king. Like, he's loyal to a fault, but he's overall a really good guy. And I don't think he's got any sort of malice in his heart or wants anything for himself because like he, he like a crab handler's son, he was never supposed to be anywhere, and he doesn't take any sort of pride in that at all. He's very honored by the distinction he's given, and he's even named Stannis'
1: hand. Like, I don't think there's anything, like, malicious about him at all. And this drags on, right? Like, when he's sneaking out Melisandre, I mean, this is why they even have confrontation all the way into the last season, where she's like, you know, (laughs) it's okay, once I take this crown off, I'll be dead in the morning. Uh, It goes into all of that, which that's time jumping here. But this is really when that big rift happened in this book. Um... Where you have this big confrontation between Stannis and Rinley. And you gotta kinda sit here and think. Like, I mean, yes, I mean you gain more respect for Davos as it goes along, as you start learning more of the arc of Danny, who is, you know, our queen, so bend the knee, right? <laughs> but if it say if he wasn't there, would all this sneaky stuff really happen here? Would this what if. If Davos wasn't there, Renly could still be alive. But the thing is, like he—he he did it. Like,
0: remember what Stannis said? He said, "You will do this, and we will speak no more of it. You'll never, like, you'll never talk about this." That was almost part of like the stipulation. Like, you will become Hand if you do this for me, which was bringing Lady Melisandra ashore. Like, I don't think it was anything he, like he—if you thought about it, like you saw his face and how like, like disgusted and like he even tried to talk about it to Stannis later on. He didn't want to do that. Like, he had... that was never, like, his intention.
1: Like, he legit had to follow what Stannis ordered for him. Do you see Davos as almost like a a Varys kind of character? I always feel like... Uh, um, not Viserys. Um, oh, Lord Varus Lord Varys. Uh, I always feel like he's like that. Like, he's out for his own. Like, he, he still was kind of trying to be the hand himself. Because he knew what he was dabbling into at this point.
0: But I don't think it was because he wanted to be the hand. I think he, because he owed his life and allegiance to Stannis, he followed Stannis no matter what. No, I honestly more more along the lines. Instead of relating him to Varys, I relate him to Jon Snow, who just follows commands given to him by the Lord Commander, whether he believes they're right or wrong. Uh, he ended up he ends up making his own decisions later on, and like for X, my problem with that
1: though, I can't even say that because if you go back to season one. Jon Snow, we found out he was going to be a mistress, or a, a mistress, a like, you know, carrying sheets and stuff. And Sam was a, a
2: steward! A steward. Uh,
1: steward. steward! Sorry, my bad, guys. I'm all over the place with my names uh, today. <laughs> mistress. What's, what are mistress? That's like someone that. That's on their legitimately wives. like, yeah. Like the, the John, woman
0: that you've you like, with is your mistress. Could you imagine that? John's wearing like
1: this little wig and he's like, oh yeah, yeah time, to, time to get my cheat on, baby. <laughs> time to get my <laughs> yeah, cheat yeah, exactly. on. Anyways, though, as far as John, he still sticks up for himself and he was pissed that he had to go be. What do you call it? Please a explain. steward. A steward. I almost said a, a mistress <laughs> again. A steward. Yeah, and where he was going to have to change sheets and watch after that guy, and it wasn't until Sam said maybe it's because he wants to take you under his wing and teach you military experience. John still stuck up for himself, and I feel like Davos just kind of rolls over. He's a sly little sneaky guy, and he's still whatever works best for me is best for me. He is, if Jorah and Littlefinger had a child and he grew up and was old, that is Davos that's who he is dude
0: you, you really think that Davos is more malicious and like, self-serving than he is I disagree 100% <laughs> I think he's a dirty guy dude 100% I couldn't be I couldn't disagree with you anymore say big nah. dirty <laughs> <laughs> he's a big, dude. Davos in my opinion guys leave in comments below what you think Comment Davos below. is an all time good guy he legit tries to counsel Daenerys he's counseled I think John, later on
1: everybody man I think it's almost like the arc of Theon right in the show. I think how Theon grows and you really gain trust from him later. I think Davos is the same. We really don't know a whole lot about Davos at this point. As far as the book goes, he's really just thrown in there. You see him, you know, he's the right hand of uh, Stannis and then he's really just doing all of his dirty work. There's really you That's don't know a whole lot to about him. I mean,
0: like like literally like, he Stannis saved his life he owes all allegiance and everything to Stannis. Remember like he said like to his son Matos in the series, he goes, um, like you serve a god, if I knew a god, it would be Stannis. Like he brought me up from a Kraber son to like where I am today, and he's like, Stannis is no like his son's like, Stannis is no god, he's just a human. He's like, Don't tell Stannis that like, legit, Davos like idolizes Stannis, thinks he's like everything and wants to do everything he can to serve Stannis, regardless of what it is. He was appalled and disgusted of what he had to do with that shadow baby with um, Melisandre. He was never he never has done anything that was like trickery out of his own like until
1: Renly died. In but fact, he didn't he he, did. he brought her <laughs> there. He brought her there. He didn't <laughs> I'm do telling it. you though, if you look at a connecting make yourself a pictorial graph map. If <laughs> you connect all the dots. At the bottom of the map, I would put Danny up top and then him in the bottom, and I would literally connect all the dots going from the north to the south. He's in the middle of that spider web that connects the entire north. <laughs> if you get rid of him, all the webs slowly just fall apart.
0: Listen, I, like, but it's not because
1: it's nothing to do
0: self-serving for him. Now, I'm still a guy as well doing this. I'm still kind of looking in the book trying to find where uh, Littlefinger like, gives the bones to um, Catelyn. Still having trouble finding that. But Sir Davos, we're going to have a 100% different opinion on this. I think he was all-time good guy. Never had any malicious or self-serving acts for him at all. Even after the Battle of Blackwater Bay, he almost died and almost wanted to die because he saw all of his sons die. And the fact that he didn't. What he wanted to do? He wanted to go and kill Melisandre. Yeah, that was his yeah, thing. Like, like yeah, he to kill. I agree. Like, like, no. But
1: at the same time though, we're talking about him right now. We're talking no, about I'm talking about
0: him right now, from the start to beginning. Okay, leave seen. your comments down
1: below if you think Davos was a sly, sneaky piece of SHIT <laughs> Team Chase. If you think he's very loyal, well, you know. That's all me, man. I'm, I think he was a big loyal follower. He wanted nothing. You, Jorah, and side. Josh can stay in the friend zone and stay on the same side. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, going from there, right? So let's go into as you're looking Ooh. that up. Yeah, um,
0: back to Daenerys back in Cough, because you know now that we talked about the and Renley treating, but can't come to terms, and all that happens, he murders uh, Renly. While this is happening, this is this is a straight quote from Daenerys: "I will lay waste to cities and burn them to the ground." And the Spice King says, you are a true Targaryen. Foreshadowing, what's going to happen later on? Which we talked about this last Exactly. This was the plan since the beginning. We've got more quotes and more instances, but this is the first time. She says, we will lay waste to cities and burn them to the ground. And the Spice King of the 13 says, you are a true Targaryen. Huh? What, what's, a true car- what's a true Targaryen? I don't know Aegon the Conqueror, who destroyed everything. The Mad King himself, too. Like, and what did he? What did
1: she do? Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk, talk about it later. That. So, uh, yeah. Another thing that's foreshadowing, though, since you brought that up, and we were still on Renly, right? Yeah. Um, Renly, we talked about his assassination. Mm-hmm. In the books, it describes the shadow that you know Melisandre you know gives birth to, which. I'm assuming is the shadow that goes out and kills him, right? Yeah. The shadow really, baby. The like, shadow exactly baby! Say that, right? But yeah, it even describes it in the book as he is literally almost a mirror image of him, as far as that. In the book, he he looks exactly like him. Um, the face of Stannis, yeah. He is the face. He wasn't just like a shadowy figure. Um, it was basically almost, in a way, you could almost take it as mocking Renly, um, as far as what he's never going to wind up ever being able to accomplish or whatever he's ever going to be able to achieve. So you can almost sit here and think, um, was it a way that Melisandre was trying to shove it back in Rinley's face? Like, ha, huh, I still got one over on you and I'm taking down your entire army with this just... You know, whatever, we just came up with with Stannis. Because that almost goes back to the whole riff that happened. Almost like Stannis with Melisandre when they're doing this whole tag team thing, like the WWE. Now that you have Rinley that's being attacked by his own shadow, it's almost sitting here mocking him, like saying, you know, you will never become what you wanted. And we're taking it from you now.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's exactly 100% it when it comes to between Stannis and Renly. Like, remember when Renly said, I had love for him once. Right. Like, as brothers, you know, he said, and, and what did Stannis say? For, for the love that our mother bore us, I will let you have this one night to think on this. So, like, how, how their their feud came to, to head. But, I mean, I see both sides. Number one, like, you know, we saw Robert Baratheon he was a conqueror he made a poor king don't want to make the same mistake again renly would be a good king at the same time he's not in the line of succession so stannis being an honorable guy and like kind of trying to follow the rightful rule cuz like in his mind he's that he did all his duty right if robert was a king robert said you go to dragonstone renly's going to take storm's end and stannis like well you know storm's end should have been mine but i would have did my duty and followed my king's commands so he's like i'm the next like i'm the next guy like i'm the, i am in line for the iron throne that's why you think, this yeah. is my birthright. Like.
1: Um, yeah, and, you know, <laughs> honestly, and then as this starts to go on, you know, Littlefinger really effed everything up. Excuse my language. Oh, but did he? He is, uh, yeah. since we were talking about Davos being definitely the center of the web, <laughs> if anyone is the center of the web, it's Littlefinger at this point. And that's just, uh, you see this, it's... it's amazing, this conniving, sick, sadistic character they came up with, because somehow it all relates back to Littlefinger, because he's devised this whole devious plan, and you can see this through the entire arc of the entire series, starting from Season 1 to Season 8, all the way from A Game of Thrones to now The Winds of Winter even isn't out. Yet, and he's still in the middle of the web, and he's still pulling the strings in the back curtain. That's the what he's done. That's, that's what he's
0: done the entire like the entire series in the books, and and he, he legitimately has a big hand in everything that goes on, and that's why that whore Rosalind, who is is in the TV series but it's not portrayed in the books, like when Varys goes to her. Like and she's like, "I'm afraid of living." He's like, "You should be." <laughs> like, yeah. he's one of the most dangerous men in Westeros because he he's got the the charm, the manipulation. He can have you
1: do something, but there's a double meaning behind it. So I, I'm with you, man. Yeah. Um, which so then you know we go into what we already talked about with like kind of Cersei's been playing with the wildfire at this point, which you know ties into Marjorie that we talked about, but. Then as far as, you know, there's this kind of little subplot thing that's going on at this point. Uh, whereas remember Bran is kind of trying to defend Winterfell, do you remember that? As far as he sends, was it, 200 men or something like that there? Um, well he gets screwed over, uh, long story short, because, um, I'm trying to think of who went there. Uh, it was, wasn't it (laughs) Theon? Yeah, Theon, out of all this. Um, really, you know, Bran got screwed over in this entire situation because Arya tried to almost make her way there. Um, but then this is how Theon wound up claiming Winterfell.
0: Theon ended up claiming Winterfell because there was no one left to defend Winterfell once they attacked Torren Square. And so he, he sent Sir Roderick, and actually this is a good point,
1: because he I did basically, I, it was like if a whole island is just sitting there on the map for you to claim, and he moved his little chess piece over and sat there. And That's basically what he did.
0: Guys, what I found while we were looking at this, um, what she ends up saying, and, it, and and Bill Finger does give Ned star, does give her the bones here. Um, the exact words are, "I'm grateful for your service, sisters, but I must lay another task upon you." Lord Edard was a Stark, and his bones must be laid to rest between beneath Winterfell. They'll make a statue of him with stone likeness that will sit in the dark with a direwolf at his feet and a sword across his knees. Make sure the sisters have fresh horses and aught else. This is what she told Hal Mullen when she was at Renley's camp, when Littlefinger gave his bones back to him. Now leave me all of you, I would be alone with Ned tonight. And that was The Clash of Kings, the fifth chapter of Catelyn. Is Littlefinger actually talking to her? I'm friend. trying to find the, the, Is
1: that right all the chapter. He actually talks to her. I, I'm I 100% he gave her the bones, that, But I don't think he actually interacted with her.
0: I mean, so. you, gotta, you can't just drop bones
1: and leave. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm going to. I, I literally, literally not tried it to find. Like, like, I swear. He didn't. I'm going I don't even think he's a part of.
0: Try to find her fifth chapter. Because remember, she goes off of
1: on him in, in the, the series, show, yes. In the show. In the book, it's like. Either that part was completely grazed over and not even mentioned very well, or he literally doesn't even interact with her. I think he just shows up and tosses the bones down, is what he did.
0: No, because there's a reason why they gave him the bones, is because he wanted a tree. I remember reading this, and I'm going to find it. I am going to find it, but while I'm finding it still, this is where, remember when uh, Tyrion trapped Lancel Lannister? Like, the the squire for Robert Baratheon, he finds out Lancel and Cersei were sleeping Mm -hmm. with each other. Yeah. That was was a big moment, too, because now he's got someone in his pocket that's going to alert him of all of Cersei's, like, what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think, you know, one of the bigger things there... um,
1: Which I think that kind of leads more into... He starts to gain more and more power of the Lannisters, which, you know... Kind of brings him into the trial situation later on, um, which that's another another show. But it's just kind of more of him grabbing a one up on the Lannisters at this point uh, over his own house. Um, keep in mind, at the same time that's kind of going on, this is when you know John and Cornith, uh have been over there trying to find Corn
0: Halfhead
1: Yeah, so
0: Corn is the man. Yeah. But uh, oh, he's them
1: corneth. What is that like cortisone? or something.
0: I mean, yeah. that's that's well, see, that's, about, yeah. now, that's episode five. That should um, be in there
1: somewhere, right there, right.
0: So, Corn and that's that's a little bit down the way here. They they just small party, to scout the wildlings, and kill like the ones in like um, people who are setting up camps. Uh, but before that, this is where. Um, Lancel tells Tyrion about the wildfire. We made Dagmar Cleftjaw, which is the one who convinces Theon to do something big, like take Winterfell. Jagan Gard tells Arya about the three people she would kill. The Night's Watch set, sets up camp at the Fist of the First Men. Tyrion sees the wildfire. Ooh, big time! This is something that I think is going to come back later in the books. That's going to be huge. The mask, woman and cough. The one that tells like Jorah Mormont, like, are you ever going to betray her again? And she says never again because she knew exactly where she was at the House of the Undying. Or know who betrayed her? Um, before they went to the Halcyon dying, he said that uh, she is with him now, and so that she was before the council with uh, Zaro's own Duxus, and he was the person that betrayed her. Now she's never mentioned again. Where she is mentioned again on the ship, like after she gets pleased by her <laughs> uh, yeah. handmaiden or whatever. Um, this this masked woman is going to play a bigger role, I think. And either when's the winter or Dream of Spring. She's gonna come back. She never made another appearance after season two here on the series. What do you think about the masked woman in Ka? Um,
1: I mean, I th- I think the same thing. Honestly, I have to completely agree with you. I think, you know, that actually is a, a, that's a big point because, man, that's that's really tough because you remember when Danny and Koth, you know, you have the warlocks there. You find out more about the mass woman, and you you kind of have all this kind of stuff going on at the same time, right? Um, I really don't have an opinion about it. It was almost like because uh, you see, Danny's here for this period of time, and you're almost so focused on the warlocks and what goes on that's so devious that they do, which (laughs) comes into later on, in just a minute, um, as far as when they start getting into the house of undying and all that stuff. Um, I gotta be honest, I kinda like, as I was, you know, I really didn't, I don't hate them, but I don't really care too much about them because I kinda just grazed over them. What about you, what do you think?
0: Like I said, man. I think that she's going to play a real a real big... Not a real big role, but at least something that comes along later on. You think so? Mm-hmm. I mean... Uh, the reason why is because why mention it all? What did she do other than tell Jorah where she was? Like, why would she be mentioned again
1: later on in the books? Like, as a vision? Because that's the thing that... I mean, I don't know. I mean, they're not... My problem is there's already been... This is the second book, right? And after this, you have Feast of... Uh, Feast of Crows, Storm of Swords, Well, it, Storm of Storms Swords is a dragon. Storm of Storms is a Sorry, Storm of Swords, Feast of Crow, Feast for Crows, and then you have Dance with Dragons, and Winter a Winter isn't even out yet, but they haven't really mentioned them much. They haven't mentioned them in the three books at all after this. So I think maybe it was just like a... We know how George does, right? Like, he... No, this is George. George is a you know an excellent writer, but I mean it's taken him so long to come out with wins a winner. Do you think this is going to actually relate back to it, or do you think this is just part of that little area she was in?
0: Yeah, uh, I think it's going to. I think she's going to have another part to play later on. But to your point here, I'm at right now page four twenty nine in the Clash of Kings. Uh, she gets back to River Run, and said that uh, uh, Sir Cleos brought him from. King's Landing. And, Sir, and Cleos was a Lannister that uh, ended up being released with Jamie and Brienne. So you're right. Ned, uh, Littlefinger was not the one who gave um, Catelyn his bones. It was Sir Cleos as part of the terms he came back with. So, good point there. Way to bring that up. That um, that Ned was not given back to Catelyn by Littlefinger. Uh, Sir Cleos in the book. So, I'm
1: actually I'm very surprised. I thought I'd... Uh, Mention that because usually this guy is right all the time. No, no, you got, you got <laughs> me there, <laughs> man. I'm very surprised. got, you got me there. Uh, Told you, man, I was up to like 5 in the morning taking me to this <laughs> <little> stuff. <laughs> That's what we do this for, right? Yeah, man. Mm. Um, once once we start really taking off, we'll have a research person be able to do that
0: for us. <laughs> we still have to do it while we're still on it. But no, I mean so not that that's taken care of. Yes, that's something different. And I almost kind of like the way that the series did it better than the books because that gives Catelyn the reason to really like you know it kind of plants a seed in her head. Hey, release Jamie and we can get you your daughters back. Yeah. So I kind of like that in a way. And uh, you know, talking about that that hooded lady, she may or may not play a role later on, but. This is this is where we kind of jump into episode five. Here is when um, after Renly, Renly dies, uh, the Tyrells have a choice to make.
1: Yeah, they. You do. know,
0: they could they could have easily joined the Starks, and you know, because Stannis was a common enemy. But the fact is, is that they wanted to make sure, by all means, Stannis did not get the Iron Throne because they thought he was the one responsible for Renly's death, which he was. Um, so I decided to join up with the Lannisters, which ends up spelling the the end of
1: the bla- Battle of Blackwater Bay later through this uh, season. Which is but a huge battle. Huge. Um, huge. I, and also, I mean, besides the Battle of... I mean, the ca- Battle of Castle Black always takes a big note in my memory, just because how huge it was. Um, but besides, you know, kind of how huge the Long Night of, in the show was... Battle and of Castle Bastards. Black, Battle of Bastards. This Battle of Blackwater really was the first huge battle. Yeah, we gotten. it got
0: set the tone for who was going to be king moving forward. Yeah, and it ended up, you know, ended up how it ended up. But on an interesting thing I know that we're we're seasons ahead of Battle for the ba- Battle of the Bastards, but that battle didn't happen in the books. That, yeah, that, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah that's That was one of the biggest
1: moments. Like. Uh, Game of Thrones in the series, but this never happened. Yeah, this is a big point we need to bring up, too, because people give Benninghoff and Wise so much trash for what happened in Season 8, like uh, thinking it's because they couldn't make up their own story as far as they couldn't put a story together or they couldn't add their own unique materials. Battle of the Bastards was never in the books.
0: No, but I think that they do better when they have a strong basis of where to fall back on. Uh, I think they could. Make, have... I don't think they can make
1: something out of their own. I don't. I still don't. Not think at still. all. Well, then you got to look at these. So you're telling me you didn't like even that whole that whole battle that did go down, which we won't talk about now because that's for a later episode. Which one? But battle of the bastards. Yeah. It no, no. See, is, here's, here's the thing: is like, and then you have you can add your print.
0: own thing, almost like you can add your own little pieces drawn, into something right. that's already written, right? You can add your own pieces of things that were already written. What I'm saying is, like, since there was no books, there was no basis from to fall back on. They had to write everything brand new, and I don't think that they're strong at that to this day. Can they have something based off the books and add their own little flavor in? Right. and Do it great, right. yes. Right. But no, I don't that think that they can sense. take something from Inception. And like, just I can agree with own. that.
1: Yeah. I can agree with that. I'm just saying, like, people give them a hard time as if they can't write anything at all. No, yeah, no, I don't agree with that. They they have a lot of. I think they're that. Rob if you think it. about it, yeah. in like,
0: <laughs> if you're a, uh, what's it called?
1: Kind of like let's Rise say, say you're a rapper. Let's say you're a <laughs> rapper,
0: right? Like oh, he's like the goes. ultimate Little John, a like, great There's feature, like, great feature too. artist, but never like makes the own song himself that he gets famous for. You know what I mean? Like anything featured with Little John on it, it's great but like when's the last what's the last little John song that was just his that was the top of the charts like never that's, Turned that's, down for what like, <laughs> sure okay we had one Turned down for what dude. what I'm saying is like these guys outside of that they're a great feature writer but they're never gonna be the main like, they could never do it themselves and that's yeah. almost like like why do you think they backed out of Star Wars they're probably like ah don't know
1: if we can do this I heard it's because of that Netflix contract Netflix we talked about but that brings a good point <laughs> If only they had, you know, the but writers they, of The Witcher. I don't give a darn
0: about the Netflix contract. If you've got an opportunity to write for the biggest movie franchise of all time, you take that if you are confident in yourself. That brings up a good like,
1: point. <laughs> why would you take a Netflix... The worst streaming service out of all of them. That's like, that's like oh man, you know what we're going to produce is this movie called Underground. Yeah, all Underground. <laughs> Underground, yeah. Man. real sweet. Instead of doing one of the biggest franchises ever, we're going to go with Underground. And we're going to cancel halfway during the contract. So just thought, you know, <laughs> throw that in there. But, um... Yeah, let's, okay, let's so reel it back, back in topic. here. So, uh,
0: another thing here, too, is this is where um, Bran has his first green dream. Yeah. Where he dreams, like, the sea is coming to Winterfell. And, like, they don't know what that's a metaphor for, but we find out it's the Ironborn coming to take over Winterfell because yeah. they're men of the sea, right? Which so. they don't
1: show... I felt like it really wasn't into the next season where they really started getting into Bran's dreams, and right. they were all about it in Clash of Kings, right? In the books, they sure were, yeah. Um, and and this is one of the biggest things too, is that
0: uh, you know what, what I wrote down here is the the fact is when he has this dream in the books, he actually goes and tells the specific people who he saw die, like hey, like. Don't be near anywhere near water. Thinking like that's what he means by they're gonna like yeah. you know, the seas coming to Winterfell. And so some people like took him seriously, some people didn't. But they didn't realize it was a metaphor for the Iron Island, like mm-hmm. the, those guys that come and take them over. Where right. in the in the series it really wasn't like that. He had he had the dream, but he didn't talk to Sir Roderick. He didn't talk to you know the other people in there who actually end up dying. And that's another thing too is like Sir Roderick ends up dying by Theon's hand. On the sword, where in the books it was that battle where the bastard came and brought all of the right.
1: rest of the troops yeah. in, and he ended
0: up dying and there without even without much of anything. So yeah, and uh, then, then also here's the thing too about Car-, Car as well when we bring Daenerys back into this is that we're wondering why and Duxus really wants to marry her other than the fact that like she's beautiful and is the mother of dragons. Well, really, because he
1: wanted to take the Dothraki army. Uh, I, I think it's because he wanted the dragon. It. Because
0: in the books, this is, this is what happened. It, he finds out, or Jorah Momra finds out, that the reason he wants to marry her is because in custom, in Karth, each, um, the bride and the groom, can require uh, one gift from the other. And they, it has to be whatever they say. So Daenerys could have asked for anything, and Zaro could have asked one of her dragons, and she would have to give it. And that's, yeah. and that's why... Um, he was been trying to court her this entire time is because like, he was sure that she didn't know the custom in Koth was that you have
1: to give one gift that they that they demand of you. Which, do you think that was the only reason? Because Danny still had the other two. Like, she could have just given, say she gave you know, Viserion, right? Or she gave <laughs> Rhaegal. <laughs> okay. Then, like, what if she gave one of the ones that they were going to put in captivity anyways? They were like, I'll I, keep Drake,
0: uh, Drogon. Then have no dragons at all because then like which one dies by uh, the the um you're on Greyjoy and which one dies by the Night King
1: well that's and she's got that's <laughs> that's <laughs> I know like, movie, like, right? that's going to the that's future but like the timeline I'm but, just like, saying. You know, so like
0: yeah at that point in time you don't give your dragons away to somebody like you know they, they gotta die in
1: battle through yeah. that goes so. it just makes you wonder right like was that really his He's, yeah, I think that was his end goal was to get a dragon. Well, that was a really dumb goal
0: because <laughs> it didn't work. winner got him very hard. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. and like they trapped him. Like that's when he finds Dar- She finds that Dorea like uh, betrayed her. They killed all of her Kalasar mm-hmm. and and uh, Koth. Like they slit all their throats. Like everybody in the in the series. And that's one and the thing. Books, yeah, and, you different. know
1: that's when you know things start to go down here, and you know they really go into as far as. In the show, uh, in the books, you know, you have all those warlocks and and Karth, and then, you know, she kind of makes... Well, well, we'll start going into this later, but the House of Undying is a big deal in the books. Yeah, and like, and honestly, like you're
0: right. They didn't do much of the justice in, this in the series. Um,
1: I mean, in the books, actually, it was like a little flat building, too. It wasn't exactly how it's built up as this big, like, sphere-type yeah. thing up top, like, made it look all cool. It reminded me almost like as Hagrid's little hut from Hogwarts, <laughs> from Harry Potter, uh, when I was reading it in the books. This <laughs> Like, his little hut, only with a flat shelf. And like, almost like if you're going to, like, you know...
0: Remember yeah, the thing about that? Way
1: or something. <laughs> the thing about
0: the House of the Undying too was like she was told in the books you can only go on the first door on the left. Yeah, and like it was weird. Like actually, kind of had to go go and do those things to the left. Wow. Um, we also meet in the books Arstan and Bellwass, mm-hmm. where they don't exist. Well, Bellwas doesn't exist at all in the series, and Arstan mm-hmm. comes later on when they leave Koth But like they go through Koth Like he gets, she gets saved in the books by Arstan in. Um, Clash of Kings as opposed yeah. to in the third season uh, when, when they meet up with Arsene who we later find out is Barris and Selmy which we you know
1: but, what then you know the big deal in the show was that House of Undying was you know that's when you get that famous line where are my dragons where are my dragons where are my dragons <laughs>
0: and so yeah uh, you know going into episode 6 now uh, the Ironborn take Winterfell, Balon crowns himself King of the Iron Islands. So guys, I, you know, let's talk about this for a second, because the Clash of Kings, as Lord Tywin claims in Harrenhal, this is the War of Five Kings, but isn't really the War of Six Kings? Right? Think about it. We've got Joffrey Baratheon, Robb Stark, Renly Baratheon, Stannis Baratheon, Balon Greyjoy, and Mance Raider. That's six, man. I count them. I got my fingers up. <laughs> that, that's six kings. The, so which one were they discounting? Balaam Greyjoy or Raider because he was the king beyond the wall. But if they were discounting the king beyond the wall, why would Cersei be? You know, when they got that um, note from the Night's Watch, she said, "Does everyone call themselves kings now?" So like they at least acknowledged it in the series. Raider calls himself king beyond the wall. So who is not? Who like who? Who do they cut out for number five? Is it Balon Greyjoy? Because he claimed he king, crowned himself the, the king of the Iron Islands, so that's six kings. I don't understand why we've got five only, but that's yeah. my... Someone, no. someone tell me!
1: Someone tell me! <laughs> I agree with that. Leave the comment on this video. Maybe just like the blue lightsaber, someone knows.
0: Yeah, and at this point in the books, the bastard of the brings his army to defeat Roderick. Um, they end up cutting his arm off and stuff. He dies before he even gets back to Winterfell. In the series, Theon cuts his head off. Uh, after he, he sees that yeah that that's so sad too because like Sir Roderick was the one that put a sword in his hand he was the master of arms yeah. that when it fell, had kind of trained him yeah. and then he's like ah oh, man the only thing I regret was not putting a sword in your <laughs> belly but putting one in your hands uh, that's that kind of sad yeah was that
1: was Sir Roderick did he get his beard cut off no, um, that was Maester Pipe's Oh, Mace, That was Maester, one like yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just like, yeah. about selling theory
0: and Tyrion, uh, yeah. uh
1: that he betrayed him. But Because okay. I knew all that went down, I just can't remember which one was which. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. also
0: at this point in time, Jordan and Corin Halfhand John and Corin Halfhand they take the wildling camp, they meet Egret for the first time. The girl yeah. is like, You know nothing, mm-hmm. Jon Snow Jon Snow is not the no. an executor and uh, you know, he ends up losing her. Uh, that's also in Which, King's Landing. That's
1: a big point. Yeah. What if John executed Ingrid? Damn. Like, there's so many points if here. He executed
0: Ingrid. If you cut out one point at any point in time. Any point. The entire story amazing. changes. Nothing, nothing ends like like the same. And I think that's really, really big for this series is that, like, most you, you got to change. Nothing. you got to change something, like, pretty drastic to have a big impact. You change small little details. This entire story changes. And it goes into and that entire. whole... Butterfly
1: effect idea, yeah. right? You know, yes, one little ripple. It's a
0: great, great point. The butterfly effect is very, very prevalent. So, you know, she, if he doesn't execute, uh, if he does execute Ingrid, he meets up with his brothers again. They don't get taken surprised looking for Jon Snow. The Wildlings don't get taken captive. They don't kill the men there in the series. And then, you know. Then we still they have this
1: feud with the Wildlings. wildlings
0: yeah. You know? you know, in the books too, like like John and Corn Hackham were the only two left. Uh, in the books like one died as a scout one died trying to go back in like the frost whatever and like they kind of got caught in the cave by the two and Corrin tells them like you gotta do what you gotta do deep inside remember you're always you're always remember the Night's yeah. Watch like you're doing this so you can stay alive and so you know John has to kill Corrin half yeah you know mm-hmm. where it was different in the series because in the series uh, like they just they catch the, um, the Night's Watch kind of party that they sent out like the the four people that went with Corn they catch and kill the other ones and take Corn and captive in the series. Where in the books, like each one died at a different point in time, um, you know, f- uh, while they were out there doing what they had what they had to do. So um, John has to kill Corn Halfhand. Big moment for him because at that point he becomes a wildling in the wildling's eyes, and he, he almost has the internal struggle like. I just killed a member of the Night's Watch. I'm a brother of the Night's Watch. Like, are they ever going to accept me back again?
1: That was a big emotional part in the books too, because you really started to see how these two started to think of each other as you know brothers. Almost at that point, they were. Yeah. I mean, it was
0: like a mentor. It was almost like a mentor, like it was almost like a Dumbledore Harry thing. Yeah, <laughs> like you know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. it's like like he's trying to teach him like the ways in the Night's Watch in the way like he wanted to, because this is the first time he got to be a quote unquote ranger. Because like you said, he was selected to be a steward, as opposed to a ranger. Corin Halfhand, like like he has to go on there, and so he's trying to learn about what he really wants to do. And Corin Halfhand's kind of his teacher because the Wildlings they fear Korin Halfhand. He's one of the ones yeah. that like you know destroys them every time they go into battle. So it's really sad that he has to end his life that way. But from there, uh, this is where. Uh, oh, the King's Landing riot! This is huge. That's what I was gonna go back to. Dude, the yeah. King's Landing riot when Joffrey goes in and they decide that they want to throw like mud pies at the king's face. The king like, is like, "Kill them all!" and like they just yeah. buy it and
1: they, mm-hmm. just, they, they just. Well, I remember yeah. in this. If this is the. Uh, yeah, this is where you know I think. Isn't the hound gets all involved in this mess?
0: Yes, because Sansa yeah. almost gets
1: raped by the people. Wanted to always make sure I'm on the right scene when we're jumping yeah. around here. But yeah, remember, Sansa is almost raped at this point. Very graphic. The hound jumps in, um, and then. Dude, that's something that we haven't talked about yet either. Tyrion slaps Joffrey. Again. <laughs> like, I mean, it's. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. that's a big point. Like, I mean, this is kind of the moment where you start to see the Hound gets fed up with it and starts to kind of break away from that. And I always wondered this, that too. That side.
0: This kind of leads into my question here. Does the Hound have some sort of romantic feelings for Sansa? Because he's... In the in the series, it's not so much. But in the books, he's very, very, like, gentle with her. And even when he leaves King's Landing battle, he offers to take her with him. He does it in the, in the series, too. But, like... He's the one that puts a stop to the beating of her in the books. Like, he's the one that's always there, like, asks, like, her to sing him a song. And, like, you know, he even cried in front of her in the books. Like, like, like I think he's got an emotional connection to Sansa in the books, where in the series it's not so much. Well, I different. think it's
1: almost like the Drogo thing, right? I mean, I feel like in the books, like, Count Drogo, like, you know, how you know, he started to learn more of Danny's language, which you barely saw in here. He was almost more, like, human-like. The Hound um, versus just kind of in the show, you start to see he sees more affection towards, you know, in the show you start to see more of his emotion when he's taking care of Arya later on. Yeah. But in as far books, as the yeah. books, you know. Sansa
0: starts out, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's, I think it almost, like, this scene here is really what starts to break him down, where he's like, I'm, I'm sick of it. When well, he's um,
0: got to save her from being raped.
1: Yeah, and you know that's i mean it really is it doesn't give it justice what the what goes on in the show because it it's very brutal
0: i think there's romantic feelings between the hound before the hound has romantic feelings towards Sansa in the books i think that's what really it was leading up to um when he left he wanted her to go with him but like she was afraid number one that maybe like it was a trap and like like the hound's going to tell Joffrey that like she was trying to escape or right. number two like wondering if the Hound himself is going to hurt her like there was a lot of things probably going to her mind where she's like nope Joffrey's like my one true love I'm going to stay here and, you know? yeah. so there's was, there was a lot of things like he emotionally manipulated like Joffrey emotionally manipulated the heck out of Sansa man and so I do think that like that's my own personal opinion guys tell me what you think I think the, the Hound had romantic feelings uh, for Sansa and um, that's why he always had a soft spot for her
1: in the books and then we kind of start to jump over to the snake comes back around. Where you have Marjorie kind of comes in this, and then you have Littlefinger that's visiting all these people like Tywin and Marjorie. He's trying to find almost like this alliance at the same time because he's still that snake in the spider web.
0: Well, that's what he needs to do at this point because now that Renly's dead, he's like, okay, obviously Renly's not going to win this war anymore. Mm-hmm. I've got him broker a deal between the land... He just went to Harrenhal and and made that deal with Tywin to broker the deal between the the Tyrells and... and, uh, Which, if I'm
1: correct, too, I wrote down here, so correct me if I'm wrong. This big scene with Marjorie and Littlefinger and Tywin never happened in the books either, did it?
0: Uh, No. No, it didn't. At all. Uh, Littlefinger never met with Lord Tywin at Harrenhal. Um, I don't believe. Uh, That's... You know, that was kinda cool too in the series is that, you know, Arya was trying to hide her face from Littlefinger when mm-hmm. she was like the cupbearer for Titan. Right. You know, so that's something nice and cool that they added there. Kinda like how the I kinda like how the books had that better to be honest. Is you know, catching Great John Umber was a huge accomplishment for the Lannister army and bringing him to Harrenhal as a prisoner. Then Arya doing that thing with the soup where she like throws it in yeah. and like burns everybody and then releases a Northmen and they retake Harrenhal. Like, they didn't do any of that in the series, and I, like, I definitely like that a little bit better in the books, yeah. for sure.
1: I mean, I do like in the series how they try to show a little bit more of how Littlefinger was very smart and kind, as far as being very deviant and finding himself in the middle of this whole spider web, and how he always is kind of the guy in the back, but um, I do agree with you. I think they could have portrayed it a little bit better.
0: And here's one thing, too, now, after,
1: what I've gotten next after, like, the Hound Saving Sansa from
0: being raped, if we go back to Daenerys, this is number two, where she says this quote, where you start to realize, it's foreshadowing what's going to happen, like, who she's going to become. She, the Spice King denies Daenerys his ships. Like, like she asks him, like, I, like, you know, I'll, I'll pay you back thrice-fold once I retake the Seven Kingdoms, he denies her. And uh, she says, I am the Daenerys Stormborn, and I will take what is mine. With fire and blood, I will take it.
1: This goes back to show foreshadow. This was all <laughs> the, <laughs> like, plan. This was the plan. Like, it's so, many, so many viewers and so many listeners out there are going to sit here and say, you know, Benningoff and Wise came up with this whole idea on their own, and they wanted to just end it so quick that that's what they decided to come no. up with when she was the bad guy this was foreshadowed from the beginning and I don't know how many examples we have to sit here and tell you we've got more
0: well, as the later seasons go on I promise we've got more yeah. but 100% is always the plan I've got my issues I got a lot of issues actually with season 8 and we'll get into that when we get there but this is not one of them Daenerys was always meant to become the Mad Queen
1: and I mean you might not like it because what she went through to get there and she does go through a lot but it's been foreshadowed in the show. It was foreshadowed in the books. Mm-hmm. How many more examples do you need? Well, we'll keep giving them to you. We'll keep giving you all the keep examples. examples. <laughs> more. You know, we got uh, I'm, I'm interested. More like the people,
0: who, the people who say that this wasn't the plan. Like, like, tell me why you think that it wasn't the plan. Like,
1: give me some. Give me, give
0: me some actual, factual evidence on why you think it wasn't. Like, you can debate about it. Yeah, don't sit
1: here and tell me. Like, oh, it's because it was just rushed, it was this, this, and this, they left a Starbucks cup on the table, they wanted her to be the bad guy, because, you know, uh, I want to say Euron, but it's not Euron, Eurion, <laughs> Greyjoy, the uncle, yeah. what's his name, Euron. yeah. Euron Greyjoy. You know how do I say it? All these Euron. Like, Euron Greyjoy, that's what I mean to say. Like, wasn't like as big of a villain, they were thinking he was going to be a super villain, and you know, the Night King wasn't as big, right? No, it, like, it, it, this it was. was, which we'll get into those problems <laughs> later, but this was always the plan. Yes, which, I agree, 100%. Yeah. Like, if you if you weren't
0: expecting this, you weren't paying attention. You just were following along the romance of a woman queen. Exactly. Honestly. That's like, what it was. Realistically, like, oh, she came through, like, went through all through Essos to get to Westeros, Came all this. Like, there's no way that they brought her all the way here to make this
1: happen, but, like, Yes, it was. (laughs) Kind of during this time period is what I was going in before, after Theon's kind of gone on his rampage. This is where we get Bruce Bolton that kind of comes in for just a minute here. Like, not very long, just comes in for a minute uh, with news about, you know, Theon's kind of taking over his area, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And Tells Rob about the betrayal. Exactly. Tells Rob about the betrayal. And this is where it really does break... It starts to break the complete ties between Rob and Theon, and it's very sad because you've seen they were like brothers in the beginning, and even more so in the books and in the series. Yeah, like 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 we I think we talked about this last
0: week. Um, Theon is not portrayed as he is in the books. In the books, he's actually kind of like a great warrior, a great marksman with a bow. Someone you know, not just this slinky, silver like you yeah. know, sly guy. Like like you know. He is an arrogant guy because he knows he, he has skill with weapons, but he,
1: him and Rob are so close that Rob even looks up to Theon because Theon's a little older than Rob. I think it's shown well in the show in season one in one episode. In one episode. And that's where uh, there's a very small scene where him and Rob are out and Bran oh, is um, almost yeah. cut off the horse, right? And he kills those guys that Rob goes up to him and he shoots him with the bow and he's a superior marksman and it shows it a little in there doesn't give it as much justice as the books right mm. but he says uh Theon says to Rob if it wasn't for me your brother would be dead mm. so it almost goes into it shows a little bit of that character that he had where remember he was kinda like the Draco Malfoy of Game of Thrones. Like he had that pompous attitude, but he actually was very skilled at the same time and he was gonna make his decision for what he always thought was the best choice.
0: What I thought was the best representation of Rob and Theon's friendship is when everyone was proclaiming him King of the North, Rob. Theon stands up and says, Am I your brother now and always? And Rob looks at him and says, Now and always. Like so, like they they were there, and then he kneels down and proclaims him king of the north too. So like the, right there, just shows you the level of of brotherhood that they had together, mm-hmm. and the fact that he betrays him, mm-hmm. it, it it definitely breaks Robb Stark's heart because he knows he's got he's going to have to kill Theon. Yeah, like
1: you know. And this is kind of when you do get a, a small mention of the foreshadowing of years to come, where you know Roose Bolton does mention that he has a bastard son. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You find out till later. That and also,
0: this is this, and all this is going on. Like, Catelyn Stark is like returns to Rob's camp, and like he introduces her to Talisa and the um, series. And she reminds Rob many times, like your promise to the phrase, like keep remind, like this is your word. This is another thing. If something went small the other way, like if Rob just stuck with his word, things would have been way different there, too. Yeah, right. So you know, everyone's making little mistakes, and these little mistakes are adding up to what happens later on. And that kind of brings us to um, where Osha, back in Winterfell, she seduces Theon, who has now taken Winterfell, and the guards, kills the guards, and helps Brandon and Recon escape. And that's kind of how um, that ends. Well, the Daenerys comes back and finds the Dothraki murdered and the dragon stolen. That's really how episode 6 ends. But um, I think that was a really big part for Osha as the wildling. If you guys didn't know, she actually takes them and uh, uh, helps them escape.
1: Yeah, so, and which Osha, which... She,
0: She's the wild thing that, that Theon almost uh, threw an arrow through, but Rob said, gotcha. like, give me my right. life, Lord.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, you really start to, during this whole timeline here, just so we can break it down for our viewers, this is really when John starts to find, starts to get this... Loyalty for Ingrid. Like, yeah, this is the yeah. one
0: episode seven. The yeah. one she says, You know nothing, Jon Snow. It's yeah. the first time she ever says it. But uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, season seven was one of those like filler episodes. There's not a lot that goes on. Theon realizes Rick gone and Bran escaped. Tywin tries to find the Brotherhood without banners. Um, Sansa gets like her first period. That's actually kind of important for now that she can bear children for Joffrey. Jamie uh, escapes for the first time. He kills his cousin and, and so this is where it differs. Remember? In the books. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Remember he's in, in River Run, right?
0: Yes, in, in the, the tower. He's in, River he's Run. in
1: the tower, yeah.
0: Now I mean, I'm not even getting that far yet. I'm getting to the part where like the difference between why Ricard Karstark ends up um, abandoning Rob Stark later on. Okay. Uh, in the in the uh, in the books, it's because Jamie Lannister killed both of his sons in the field of battle, like with his sword. In the in the series, uh, he ends up killing his cousin with the chains, and then uh, the the guard who happens to be Ricard Karstark's son, who has the keys to the the uh, pen, he pretends to be asleep while the other guy is dying on the ground, and the guy goes in there and Jamie jumps him and like chokes him out with the chains, steals the keys, and releases himself. Where right. you know, so that's where the, that differs between why Ricard Karstark is looking for Jamie's head in both the the books and the series, and like you
1: were saying, that the difference in the escape,
0: go into that a little bit.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, in the books, you know, he was kind of like, almost like a locksmith, like he goes in there and sneaks him in and sneaks him out. As far as the show, um, it was more of like Brian of Tarth kind of shows up.
0: Oh, after she's been too late introduced, right? That, that, that's too far. The, no, the first escape, not the last escape. Oh, the first escape. Yeah, the first escape. Okay. escape is where, remember, like, his uh, his cousin comes in and is like, I used to squire for you, uh, like, about like about tournaments, and uh, Jamie kind of, like, makes him feel good about him. He's like, oh, I used to squire, too. I squire for Barrett and Selmy. He was an artist. He was a painter, but he only painted in red. Right, Like, things like yeah. that. Okay. And, like, Ernest, the cousin's trust, he's like, I think I might be able to escape. And, like, he's like, I just need your help. And his cousin's like, okay, what do I got? He's like, you've got to do one thing. Die, and then he like, like, like bashed him until like, he was like jerking and like like dying there. And that's yeah. when like he pretended to be asleep. The guard comes in and sees like his cousin like like writhing on the ground. And then when he goes to check on the cousin, Jamie gets up and wraps his chains around Rigard Stark's son there, and he had the keys the um, on him. So that's when he first escaped for the first time before Brienne Tuff even was uh, involved in the second escape.
1: Um, and if I'm correct, just so everyone knows, River Run. Uh, that is actually where the house at Tully's was, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah.
0: River Run is is uh
1: yeah, which you see that a little bit more in the shows later on yeah. as it gets into the season six. River Run has
0: a lot to do with a lot of things in both the books and the, and the TV yeah. series. Which
1: is it's here's a question: Why do you think Benninghoff and Wise made that decision to not go with River Run when it still fit in with everything they were doing?
0: I think it's because they want to really delay. How far Rob and like the, the Northern Army were coming down? For because like if you think about it on the maps, how long does it take to get from one city to another? Like if you talk about it fantasy time, it, it should take months, right? Right. So like if you're already at River Run. When you were just that, whispering, which <laughs> goes <laughs> into and yes, <laughs> yes, it does.
1: Yes, it does. We're just teleporting yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: I think I think it just was meant to show the lapse of time between it. That's where I really think that difference came in. Um, but but yeah, no, like they weren't they weren't too far. But I, really, I think it just really was meant to show that. In, when, in an army and in a battle you've got to pick up things you got to move them remake pens and rechain yeah. people like mm-hmm. the prisoners and stuff so I just think I, maybe that's why, why it was like, a, like more of a camp in the yeah. series and, and at Riverrun in the books
1: which at the same time you're still having you know we mentioned Theon before for a little bit it, you know Yara keeps going back over to Theon reminding how much of a dumbass he is and yeah he, he went back no. to Winterfell she went to Winterfell because yeah. he, he like summoned her he's like Bring five hundred of your men. I, Yara's like, <laughs> what? No, she
0: <laughs> comes with like twenty people, and she's like, bro, like, let's go home. We can't, we can't hold this
1: castle here. Like, this we're gonna so work from the sea. We're from, we're like sea folk. It's, it's like I, I'm gonna hold it. And he's like, he's <laughs> it's literally like, if someone, if you were playing when you were a kid. Say you remember when you were like four or five years old and you're playing outside. You're like king of the rock, right? No one's on your little playground, and everyone else is on the other one, like right across the street. And you're sitting there, and you're like, "Well, no one's coming to buy for and he's the only one there." They're like, yeah. "Well, this is just ridiculous," and they could take you over any minute at the moment. He's just—it was almost like theon once again. Just like a pride, he said, thing.
0: pride thing, trying, trying to
1: prove his worth to his family.
0: Yep. So. You know, and then also a big thing that happened here in season or episode 7 of season 2 is when Theon burns the farm boys and tries to pass him off as Bran Recon. Yeah, the farm Completely boys. Completely different mm-hmm. in the books. Yeah. Like, like, like the, the burning was the similar, but it was widespread knowledge that Bran and Recon were dead mm-hmm. in the books where, like, they didn't know in the series. Right. Exactly. So that's where that kind of ended off. And then picking up at episode 8, um, Catelyn released Jamie. Yeah, when again the so Rob wasn't there, Rob was fighting the battle over in uh, Lannisport,
1: and uh, she she really released- Let's talk about that. It's almost like because we see this pattern occur multiple times in the show and the book. As far as Jamie, almost has that cunningness to where do you think he he feels like he's gonna get captured and then just get released every time? almost like a pompous attitude, do you think he? It, it's an idea of his that he's just so okay with being there? Because you notice when he gets captured, he pretty much just sits there. Like, he's pretty much fine with it. Like, he thinks he's just going to be released, all the way down into where we got season 8. He still gets released again. Like, this is a constant pattern we see in the books in the show. Well, you know what? And this is, this is a hot take, guys. We get ready for my hot
0: take. I told you this before we started the show today. I think Jaime is suicidal. There's a, re- a couple reasons why I think he's suicidal. Number one, when he was captured, he wanted to have like a one-on-one battle with Robb Stark. Obviously, Jamie would have won that. He's a superior swordsman, but he just—he's like, open to putting his life on the line anytime anything doesn't go his way. So, once he says like that quote, you know, "How about we end this right here, right now?" and Robb Stark's like, you know. Kingslayer, if we do this your way, Kingslayer, you'd win. We're not doing this your way. Right. And so then, next thing that happens is Catelyn goes to visit Jamie and asks about Bran. Like, hey, like, what happened with Bran? And he's like, push him out the window. <laughs> <And> like, <laughs> he tries to like, incense her to get her to rise out of her. And she had this big rock, and she smacked him in the head with it. And he's telling her, literally, how to kill him. He's like, put the rock above my temple. couple so You're a strong woman. She'll only take a couple tries, and i would be dead. Like, he's trying to get her to kill him. And then when she releases him, what happens? He goes and talks like so much trash about Ned, trying to get her to kill him. Like he's like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you tell me I'm without honor, but you know, one could say I've got more honor than your uh, your husband Ned. I've only been with one, one one woman my whole life, and that was Cersei. You know, Ned, he brought that bastard back, and you must have hated that child. Like, he legit was trying to get a rise out of her, and she it grabbed his yeah. sword, like. He wanted to die, and then later on, remember like when they have that big battle, uh, he runs straight at the dragon, uh, you know, trying like oh yeah, that's like, dude, the, way knew, in the time. Like, I know oh, I jump head it? there, but I'm like, trying to prove yeah, my point. It's, is it's, that I think that Jamie Lannister hates his life and is suicidal and wants to die. I think he like she, like Catelyn says, you'd want everyone to think that you're okay with dying, and like I
1: believe him when he said like no like. I could die, and I don't care. So here's my bold take on it, right? I don't think he's suicidal. I think he is not comfortable with his situation and where he's He at. doesn't like himself. He doesn't like himself. I don't... I mean, this goes back into what I was saying as far as the Lannisters look out for their own family. I don't think this goes even into looking at Season 8 in the future here, where, yes, he goes all the way back to Cersei, they're tied into their family, but I don't think he likes being in it, and he doesn't like you know the choices that he has to make for it.
0: I don't think he likes the choices he has already made. I think he hates himself. I think he's like a, some huge self-building. Where, like I said, I, I think I think he wanted to die many times.
1: But I mean, who made him? Who forced those choices on him? I mean, it's going like- all the way back to being a Kingslayer, though, right? Yeah. I mean. The well, Lannisters course. have always wanted to be the number one house. They just well, never got the respect for Well, here's the thing: is it. like,
0: like for that, if you remember, if you recall correctly, like Aerys Targaryen told Jamie Lannister that if Tywin arrives here with an army, like you're going to put your own father's head on a spike. Like Aerys Targaryen was telling him, like you have to kill your own father, and <laughs> Jamie's like, mm, probably not. <laughs> so I'm going to stab you in the back because, like, number one, it's obvious. Like he burns. He's like, "Thomas, burn them all, burn them all to the ground." It was clear that he was a mad king, and so it's really sad that Jamie makes that one decision to kill the Mad King, and you yeah. get so much like like
1: well, anyone I, in his position should have done the same thing. And I think from that point on, he's almost like Doc Holliday and you know in uh, Tombstone, right? Like remember when Doc Holliday, if you've ever seen the movie. Uh, Val Kilmer plays him he has tuberculosis so it's like he's almost like looking at Jamie's end like he's already made his decision from the beginning so he already sees his future as it's only going down one path and it's not getting any better so he doesn't care the decisions he makes almost like he he can go out there just ruthless just not even thinking about like when he went up to Ned right never in his mind which don't get me wrong he was the best swordsman in all the land there but never in his mind did he ever think like I might die right here on this battlefield he didn't care
0: let me tell you why I think you're wrong about him not caring Is because remember the in the first season we're coming back now when he met his father at Casterly Rock he says when they whisper King Slayer behind your back does it bother you he said of course it
1: bothers me but like, he, I he think... seriously like, he really cares about like how people portray him but here's the debate, though: is he got that name Kingslayer after he made that decision? Mm-hmm. So ever since that point, I think he's made the decisions not caring because he's already made his, fe- he's he already his, made fed his fate. He's already made his bet. maybe. Point. You know what I mean? But
0: I don't know. That's again, guys. That's my hot take on it. I think he's suicidal. You know, I, he thinks that you know he just doesn't care about certain things. But um, you know, kind of going back into where we're at now with season eight. Uh, so Caitlin releases Jamie sends Bran of to, to negotiate, basically, broker a deal where they release Sansa and Arya because, in Catelyn's mind, because Littlefinger told her in the series, they still have Arya. Right. So, releases releases him, uh, Tywin leaves, uh, leaves Hall. Tyrion figures out Stannis is going to, dude, I think this is really cool, like, Tyrion is a, is a reader and, uh, like, just an intellectual, and he figures out where Stannis is going to hit in all of King's Landing at the Mudgate. I think yeah. that was really really cool yeah. that uh, he found that out ahead of time. Uh, also, back to like not even Jon Snow, but Sam Tarly. Uh, Samuel Tarly on the fist of the first men, he finds that bundle of dragon glass. Remember he that? does. He, yeah, he brushes he that thing that. off, and mm-hmm. Brian finds the thing of, of dragon glass. Uh, so you don't understand what Which the means- glass is for yet. You're just yeah. like, what is, like, yeah. why are all these obsidian rocks here in the form of daggers? Right. Like, what hey, do yeah. they do? Like, what do they do? And th- something else, too, I think is important, because when they first camped on the Fist of the First Amendment, the first day they got there, you know, one horn is for rangers returning, two blows of the horn are for wildlings, and three are for white walkers,
1: Yeah. right? Which, this is something I can get on board with. This is what I think, you go back to something like Rise of the Skywalker, they did wrong. They had that dagger there where they were just searching for the map that was on the ground. Here, they were actually in the place where they were searching for... They weren't searching for anything, but they were in the area. They're searching for Vengeance the Stark. Like, they yeah, they yeah. want to find like, what happened to our ranger party. Right, yeah. but they weren't searching for an artifact or anything. No. They were just in the area yep. of the First Men. That would make sense. You go into something where you find some dagger on the ground, going back to like, Rise of Skywalker, like, this, this is what Game of Thrones does so great because even if it's a small detail, it makes complete sense in the outline. Even going back to Danny's foreshadowing, um, even small details about what she says, I will take what's mine with fire and blood, that's not just a quote. Like that's there because that's that like, was the outline. what she's gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So,
0: uh, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. So you know, after that, you know, this is where Arya kind of gets slick. Names Jack and Hagar as the third person that she wants him to kill, and kind of nice. basically brokers her own release from Hall because he ends up killing all the guards and she walks out the front gates. Um, you know, and we learned a little bit more about him at the very last episode of the season, but now that it kind of comes jumps to Cersei. Remember when? Uh, you know, after Marcella got shipped to Dorn and he wants and Tyrion wants Joffrey and the vanguard to kind of boost morale at the Battle of Blackwater Bay, Cersei basically says, you know, well, you know, I found something that's gonna hurt you and brings out the wrong whore, remember? Yeah. Yeah, it brings out yeah. the wrong one, but he's gotta like he's gotta play it off so she doesn't find out the right one. And so he tells her, like, you know, uh, one of these days your happiness is gonna turn to ashes in your mouth and you're gonna know it was me. Like, yeah. they have that little battle, they have that constant, like, like battle between each other, and that's going to play uh, an important role later on when they accuse Tyrion of something. I'm not going to tell you what, what it is. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. from there, she's got the wrong whore, uh, you know, beating the wrong person. Um, you know, anything that happens to Joffrey is going to happen, like, three times over to this woman that you love. Which, like Cersei so she thinks she's got Tyrion where yeah. she wants him, and it's just not true. But he plays it off because you know he wants to make sure that the real person
1: he loves is not in danger to Shay. Yeah. Which I think one scene in the in the show that started, uh, I think it really got across the point of how sick Joffrey has gotten, which wasn't Woo! really a big scene in uh, the book. Right. You're right. It uh, very disturbing. Very weird. Where is my best Let's to describe for it? Like yeah. a dominatrix scene, uh, when Joffrey holds the crossbow to those two whores, uh, which I hate using that word. Two, I mean that's what they were. Like, yeah, like, that's, that's what, what they, they, what they, were, were, they were, were. Yeah, like like in um, the <laughs> But yeah, literally holds the crossbow to him and say the quote what he said. Remember he was like yeah oh. yeah
0: he he's like. Uh, your grace, your uncle will find out. He's like, I want him to find out. I want
1: him to find out. <laughs> like, like he's yeah. that sick and sadistic. He's yeah. almost becoming almost like a Ramsay type character, which or a you...
0: Mad King himself.
1: Yeah, and yeah. it, which is ironic because he can't get it up himself almost. At this point.
0: <laughs> which is so, which is pretty strange too. Because now that we bring up this like this whole thing about Joffrey. He never beds any woman. Never, ever in the books. Never. Then, yeah. Like what.
1: He was just a psycho. Which then you start thinking like Marjorie had to start having a thing for his brother later on, right? And, um, which that's later on, but he never. He married a woman. Even Sansa, he never felt any emotion to her. Or sexual attraction. Like, he's like, I like her pretty. Anything. That's about it. Like,
0: really like you never got like you know with all the other ones you know with Renly it was with Loris, with uh, Rob Stark it was with Felisa with Stannis it was with Melisandre with yeah. they everyone had a woman like Joffrey never ended up being with any woman bro it was, it was very strange like and it wasn't like he was like you know with a man either like he just yeah, he was, a was like go eater, for power yeah. man it was literally he just
1: want to be power control like, it was, it was like, power. he loved
0: control man it was
1: like i think it was even almost like Cersei almost Craved that power all the time so he wanted to one-up her maybe he be like this is what I well, got maybe that's right. where he got it
0: from yeah I mean, that's what he, maybe he to, like, if he you go back to the...
1: remember the one of the last episodes in season one when he passed that sentence on Ned it was to get one-up on Cersei I, I don't was, know if it was to get one up on her, but it was like you know
0: uh, he's showing the, the entire kingdom that like
1: no matter what my advice, yeah, say, I like can do what is, I want. Yeah, because remember, and then he said um, they've got the they've got the my, big parts of women. Yeah, they got general. But I don't think that ones, that was a which I do not thing. have. It,
0: it was I think that was like I'm going to send a message to everybody if you you know are out of line in any way, shape, or form. Your head's coming off. Yeah. Like I'm the man here, not yeah. her. I'm the I'm the king. Yeah. You know. So that, you know, I don't know if it's more of a one-upsmanship yeah. It's like I want to flex
1: my power right. more than anything. But my point is, in this scene, it was so brutal and grotesque. Like they start off just kind of play spanking, spanking each other, the and the then belt. it was like it was the belt beltnecks and like the club with the studs. Like yeah, it was <laughs> literally like beating it. It was assault. It was hundred percent assault. Hundred percent assault. And that just shows like how sick and sadistic he really winds up becoming.
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent right.
1: Yeah. So um, then we I guess at this point Danny's kinda of still over in in Karth, right? Yeah she's
0: in shes in, she's in Kalp until the end
1: of the episode. I mean she's yeah. still in there at the end at the end of the season. Um but and remember at this point she's kinda of even starting to you know, she offers the warlocks um, you know she's like I will help you with my army if you can help me find my dragons and she has no idea what's going on at this point yeah she's got
0: she's no idea what's going on um, you know this is the point where after she was told by Jor Jor goes and finds her with with Zaro's on Duxus, and he's like making a plea to the 13 like and the spice king is like well it's a good thing you had your dragons if I knew they were I wouldn't tell you where they are you shouldn't have them you yeah. know like the world was in a great place without them and then that's when you realize that they all tricked her, and that's when the warlocks had, like, the charlatans had their power, mm-hmm. and, like, there was all of a sudden 13 of them, or 12 of them, and they stabbed all of the 13 except Zaro, because now yeah. he's going to be the king of Ka, and, right. you know, with the charlatans on the side. And so while that's happening there... Uh, Rob and Talisa confess love for each other for the first time and they uh, they get it on, man. Yeah. They get it on. Uh, this in, is, the it's, it was it's, in the, the cave. cave oh, it, was in, it was in the cave. it was <laughs> in <was> his tent. The cave was <laughs> John Stone eager. <Yeah>, That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. yeah no. no. so Rob, so Rob and Talisa get it on in the tent, man. That's right. was the tent. He, he yeah. goes, I don't want to marry the Frey girl. She's like, I don't want you to marry the Frey girl. Yeah. It better one great. beautiful bridge <laughs> for the
1: Frey's yeah. bridge that they crossed.
0: And so they get it on. Yeah. Which never
1: happened in the books at all. Ever. Because he married Gene. Yeah, that was the 100% books. all yeah. series. Um, so that was great.
0: Yeah. And, uh, Bidding
1: off and wise, yeah. Definitely uh, yeah. It was selling that spark. is. then we find out Recon and Brandon are still
0: alive and they're hiding in Winterfell. I was almost That's
1: like sure. the moment in The Witcher. Remember when they're in the bathtub and like the scene later? They're like, yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> almost. Yeah.
0: And, and that like, kind of brings us into episode 9. Now, guys, episode 9 was legitimately. All Blackwater Bay. All all Blackwater Bay. What happened there? That's
1: battle. uh Cool. Until Castle Black It's the best battle I've seen It was really cool Uh, Stand of
0: sails On (laughs) King's Landing Mm -hmm. The Hound and Bronn Get into an altercation I made him pull it up Before we even Started the show today Bron's like Singing down below And stuff And Hound gets in his face like Oh you're like killing You think you're a hard man He's like I know it He's like well Your your woman's gonna miss you And he's like Yeah I I bet she will One day (laughs) (laughs) Like like he was so confident Like I love Bron. Bronn you know, ever since right, you know, like Rob so. had yeah. to, ha- have, what happened to Rob happened. Brahm was my guy from there on out. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, they, they, there was the, like held all the women and makers hold fast. Uh, the wildfire hits Stannis, which is completely different in the books than it is in the mm-hmm. series. In the series, it had that one singular ship that was full of wildfire. Right. Rob shoots the fire arrow. It hits the thing and it blows up all of Stannis' fleet. Where. The wildfire was really sunken into the water underneath King's Landing, and there was a chain. Like, like that's why he had all the all the people making him that big long chain. Tyrion did throughout all of the uh, the book here. And then what he did is he put that underneath the harbor. And once all Stannis's ships land, like, like got into like close enough. He pulled up the chain so they couldn't go any further forward or backwards, and then lit the fire. Like the, fire uh, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere on yeah. there. So that was really cool. Yeah, which <laughs> is that
1: big famous scene you usually see as far as like the highlight of this big battle. Like you see the green the fire, green fire on the water.
0: Yeah. and it was completely different though. Like, like just in the series, it was the boat and the books. It was the entire harbor. He had the chain up so the boats couldn't go backwards or forwards. He trapped him. Great cerebral cerebral move by by Tyrion. And then that's where Sir Davos's first son, Athos dies. The um, you know, Siege of King Landing begins. Then the Hound abandons the battle.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which, before, uh, just to throw this out there, uh, of course, you know, Tywin winds up leaving Hearth. Or, Harrenhal. 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 Yeah. I hate he, he left with the Harrenhal. episode before. Yeah. yeah, so he left. And of course, Davos has kind of became like his right hand man at this point, leading Stannis' fleet.
0: Yeah, so Davos has almost always been like Stannis's right hand man since the Siege of Storm's End, which was during Robert's Rebellion. Uh, which I wish again that they had stuck with that as yeah. opposed to
1: the, the House of Blood, like Fire and Blood. But, yeah. uh, but going back to the Hound, man. This is when, uh, and you get that you finally get to first see how the hound reacts with fire yeah the foreshadowing yes he hates it yeah so it's which ironically which we'll talk uh at the about at the end of this arc here um you know the thing the hound has feared most this entire time is fire yep so. and
0: uh, so he leaves the battle after like there was a man that was on fire running at him with a sword and Braun is the one that shot an arrow through his eye to stop him before he got there but it shocked him so badly that he walked out and then he's like I want wine and he drinks the wine instead of the water and Tyrion comes up and he's like would you like some more refreshments you want some strawberries <laughs> like like this is a this is a freaking battle man like get back yeah, out man, there like, get back and out. like the only thing is like Fuck the king, like <laughs> fuck the king's
1: guard. I don't give a shit about this. I'm out of here. Which, if you foreshadowing, if you go to season eight, which this isn't even the books yet, if you think about, remember what happened in the Long Night. Like he got to the point, like he was. If it wasn't for Arya standing there, he basically would have been like, F this, we're all screwed." Dude, he's a quitter. We're all completely
0: screwed. The hound yeah. is a notorious quitter, man. Hot take, I'm yeah. with it. Hot take, man. Uh, you know, the Tyrion decides that he has to lead the battle at Mudgate. Now he's going to go up behind them. He's like, let's "Fuck him in the ass!" <laughs> <laughs> it runs out that little like side thing, and they take him from behind. And then that's where uh, Sir Mandon Moore actually slices at Tyrion's face. He, yeah. he had like he had orders from Cersei to kill Tyrion. Mm-hmm. Like like he sees like Sir Podrick Payne ended up killing him in the books. It ended up being a little bit different um,
1: on there, but. Uh, which, in the books, it's worse. Like, half his nose is gone. Yes, it is. Um, and, and, I mean, it's pretty brutal in the show. Like, he has the big, like, scar there.
0: Yeah, right? That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so at that point in time, the uh, they end up getting defeated by Tywin and the Tyrells. They join the battle. They take him from the behind, and they defeat Sansa's army he's thrown out of King's Landing. And that kind of brings us to the last episode in Season 2, where now that the, the battle's over and Time of Lannister's at Kingless Landing, they won that battle backwater bay, King Joffrey's still in his position as King. Uh requests that Joffrey marries his sister Marjorie and uh, they go through like a whole show in the books. Like it doesn't show it in the series, but it was already said behind the scenes that like Sansa you're not gonna marry Joffrey anymore. Mm-hmm. You, you need to show the uh, respect to look
1: look distraught and like feel like bad about it and even though she was super happy. Um, if it wasn't for, you know, Tyrell Lannister coming in as, like, backup, I mean, Stannis would have had a chance with the Gold Cloaks. Wouldn't have had a chance. They would have won.
0: Yeah. That was it. The Gold Cloaks started leaving because uh, Joffrey got taken back to his
1: um It you know, almost quarters. found uh, almost like a Little Helm's Deep-ish. Yeah. Like, I mean, I feel Stannis was about to win that, and then all of a sudden... Everyone forgets Tyrell had left that yeah, area. All left, of that they didn't before. have.
0: They didn't. Uh, yeah, claim for any kingdom, and then he decided that they decided they were going to uh, back the Lannisters and make sure Stannis didn't win because Stannis killed Renly.
1: And I do have a note in here. Of course, you know, um, you know. This is really when the Hound's loyalty has broken away from Joffrey, almost at this point. And Joffrey is just really being a big bitch in this battle, (laughs) really. And I remember Cersei even comes to the point of she was so scared for him him she wanted him back (laughs) before they had actually won. So, yeah, I mean, it just shows he's he's a sick, ruthless, sadistic, bitch (laughs) that's really what Joffrey excuse my language then
0: Varys meets Roz in this next episode the last one convinces her to spy on Baelish for him Uh, the the horror after he like scared her to death and here's another thing about that battle just on a quick anecdote um in the books Loras wore Renly's armor into battle and like they thought he was a ghost of Renly Mm -hmm. Rathian. uh that didn't really happen in the series at all he just helped the Lannister army defeat them yeah uh you know, Rand transports, Jamie has to kill Stark men when they find out who he is, like they had the people hanging up and she had, was going to cut them down then they're like, what's his name on the count of three, and she ended up having to kill them yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, Catelyn again tells Rob, almost foreshadowing away that Walter Frey is a dangerous man to cross like she has to remind him like many times like whatever you do, like remember you have an oath like you gave your word, your father gave his word with things like, you know, if you're going to you know, claim the Stark name, you have to be honorable with what you say in your word um but then he kind of doubles back on her and says, well, you released the kingslayer without my consent. So because of that, like, she right. kind of has to accept to the marriage of him and, and Talosah, because that's what that happens. They end up getting married at the very end. Um, the Ironborn turn on Theon. They kill Maester Luwin. Uh, Daenerys enters the House of the Undying, and I think this is something that we wanted to both this talk about. This is a about. big,
1: big moment here. Um, both. This is that famous gif <laughs> where you have the three little dragons almost at this point, and... It, you also have the visions here, which is a big deal, um, and it's 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 a little bit different in the books than it is the show. You want to go into that?
0: Yeah, a little bit. Uh, see, wh- where I what I really wanted to talk about, I'll let you go into the exact differences. But what I wanted to talk about was almost if you guys go back and look at this season two, episode ten, when she's in the house of the Undying, the first door that she enters, she sees the Iron Throne. But she sees it in ruins. The glasses are blown out of the, like, the windows are blown out of the, the, the pane. The throne room's all ragged and ruined. She sees just the Iron Throne, which is almost an exact replica of what the Iron Throne looked like after she sacked King's Landing in Season 8. Exactly. It looked almost exactly like that, but showing it in Season 2, when the throne was still there during the wintertime, which happens to be what ended up happening, um... Uh, later on, not to, to get too far ahead. And a big um, key is
1: she never touches it. No, she, she never let, touches like she wants
0: to it. touch it, which is funny because she never touched it and at the end either. Yeah. Uh, so that was huge. I don't think people noticed that. Um, also, uh, the uh, when she went to the other room. She was uh, oh, like it, almost like it looked like when she went beyond the wall. So the, the door opened and she went beyond the wall in the north, where she's never been before. She doesn't even know the, what the wall is at this point in episode ten of season two. She walks out behind it and sees like in the tent, uh, Khal Drogo with her son, uh, holding the sun. And, like you know, she has to remember that this is like just a dream or a vision. But at the end of the day, one of the problems we have later on is how they get north of the wall so quickly. But uh, uh, straight up. She's never been north of the Wall before. She doesn't know what the Wall is, but she has a vision of being north of the Wall, and that's where they have to
1: go to realize, hey, like the, the Night King's arm is real. Mm-hmm.
0: So how does and you the, I bring
1: up? In the books, it's just a little bit different. Like The visions are very similar, but Drogo is never in the visions. Uh, she actually has a vision of her son becoming an adult yep. at that point in the books. Um, and it also is almost like a small flat building in the books is not quite as elaborate as they make it in the show so just some small differences there but the point being just like you said i mean it's all very much foreshadowing so if you can if any of our listeners can give me a reason on why they think with examples that they just came up with this ending out of nowhere (laughs) please be my guest
0: yeah i'm with it um and then from there, Stannis is back at Dragonstone after the defeat, and he like starts like feeling bad about murdering Renly. He's like, I "Killed my own brother, and I didn't even win the throne. Like, what was this all worth?" It starts questioning the the Lord of Light. Tries to kill Melisandre. Like, he starts choking her, and like you know, decides against it. So like he's starting to have like a conflict within himself. Um, yeah, the then after the house of the undying, Jacken offers to take aria to Bravos and become a faceless man, gives aria that coin. Yeah. Says, you know, mm-hmm. whenever you see him from Bravos, if you ever want to come with me and learn my trade, you know, you just say these words, uh which um, which translates to all men must die. Um, so that was pretty cool. Uh Brandon Ricon leave a bunch fell, Lumen dies. Uh, they head to the to the wall with Hodor and Osha. Um, Dragons, they they set the charlatans on fire, they save her, they burn the chains off of her and then she ends up escaping the house of the undying. Yeah.
1: Which is that famous scene, if you've seen the gift, she's like standing there yeah. and they mm-hmm. like burn it off, right? Yep. And um, Yeah, it's definitely a famous gift scene. And then, you know, of course she you know, the dragons burn the warlock down. Yep. And so
0: hundred percent. And then this is where John has to kill Corn Happen the Violence Trust. Daenerys finds Dorea in bed with Zorro and uh, Duxus and takes them both to the vault. She uses his uh, key to unlock it, and this entire time he's been telling her how many riches he has and how he's the richest man in Ka, mm-hmm. opens the vault, there's absolutely nothing in the vault.
1: Yep. <laughs> nothing at all in the vault, <laughs> Not man. Nothing in the
0: vault. And so, again, guys, in, in the in the books, Dorea died in the red waste, but here she betrayed, she betrayed Daenerys and she throws both of them into the vault and locks them in and takes the key. And then where really season two ends is goes back to Sam Tarly. Uh, they're, on, they're on the Fist of the First Men. They hear three horn blasts. That signals white walkers. And then Gren and Pip, they all run. And, and Ed Talit, they all run and leave Sam behind. He hides behind a boulder. And our last our last image is of uh, one of the others, as they call it in the books. Yeah, or the others. A, a white mm-hmm. walker, not a white, a white walker on a dead horse. With an ice sword, and like it's not the Night King, but he puts it in the air and has that bone-chilling screech with the crystal blue eyes. So that that was our
1: last image of, of season two. Which do you think the others in the book, or you know the White Walkers in the show, do you think they were always meant to be a subplot?
0: No, nope. I, I I don't think that at all. I think that they became a subplot when it's supposed to be the entire theme. Is like the living versus the dead. Like, if you think about the that prophecy, yeah. like the, the prophecy about Azor Azai, like that we never got to learn shit about. <laughs> and, I think i got another problem with the season eight. Uh, you know, he was like the, you know, Lightbringer with a and sword mm-hmm. like, made of light, like, killing. The whole thing was supposed to be uh, the long night comes and it's the living, but there's only one war and it's the living versus the dead. Right. And so, no, I don't think there was supposed to be a subplot, I think. The, the Battle for the Iron Throne was supposed to be a subplot and then the, the long night should have yeah. come afterwards but we'll and that's that. the thing like
1: the show doesn't talk about as much as like you know the Lord of light and the prophecies and yeah, you know what not do at you all. People worship read about it more in the book yeah and, and they don't talk about that at all um, overall I think it was a I think it was a great season. I forgot how much detail was put in from Clash of clean uh, Clash of Kings. Clash of Kings, you know, um, so I'm just going to wash it uh, Clash of Kings from end um, uh, of season two. Uh, I would say as far as like when the show was starting out, right? This was really the big season that got people's attention. Like people remember the last episode of episode one, but I still remember when I started watching this. I actually had saw the first episode of season two where, you know, the Hound knocks that guy off the wall for Joffrey's tournament, right? And this was like the big season that kind of got people's attention as fans to jump into this. Start of the war.
0: Yeah. It really started the war with the five or I like to call it six kings. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so Yeah. I, I of, of all the seasons, am I going to rank it one, one of my top three? No, but it's, mm-hmm. it's up there. Yeah. Um, I, I liked it. Uh, I do believe this is where you know there's a lot of detail, a lot of foreshadowing of what's going to happen later on. You get to learn a little bit more about the characters and like who does what for what reason. You see, starts to see some of the mistakes that are made on yeah. everybody's side, mm-hmm. and I think is huge. So uh, you know, the end of season one. Kind of started the war, like and they got like got everyone all amped up, but this is like what happens now. Now, like th- it really, it's really set, like that's everything in motion, and this is where it
1: is in motion. It definitely uh, without this book and this season, you couldn't have anything later on. I mean, it is that big spider web that kind of holds everything together. Because this, my opinion about this season in this book here. Is it is kind of the breaking point uh, for the Starks, and as far as you know what goes on on the inside, and ultimately how Rob's team basically falls apart.
0: Yeah, a little bit. So yeah, um, uh,
1: but yeah, you want to uh,
0: break us down? Yeah, no, guys. So thanks, thanks again about you know the views. We talked about this a little bit last week. We got viewers from. Uh, you know, both domestically and international. Thank you guys so much. Keep that up. We love it. Uh, it helps us out a lot. Uh, thank you for you know sticking with us. I know some of these get kind of lengthy with you, um, but yeah. I mean, tune in for next week, next Sunday. We're gonna do uh, season three, and that's gonna that that, that kind of has to be a long one because it's one of a lot of things that come to a head in season three, and also in the books, it's the largest book so far of the the Song of Ice and Fire. So. I'm looking forward to that with you. But as of today, this was uh, Season 2 of Game of Thrones. And, um, yeah, this has been the Ridiculous Crew uh, with Factor Fantasy, man. Chase and Josh. Signing off.